Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The future is coming, which is pretty much always the case. But in this case, you can make it brighter with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a unique website, showcase your work, blog, publish content, even sell products and services of all kind in just a few clicks. My fiance actually uses Squarespace as her personal webpage for her yoga practice. And just like she did, you can customize everything from the look and feel to settings and products using their beautiful templates created by world-class designers. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever so head to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready use that offer code capspace to save 10 percent on your first purchase of a website or domain and let them know that you came from us all right welcome on 15 and 60 edition of the pod we're actually going to do the whole thing here we're not going to be lazy despite the fact that it's already 10 30 p.m tonight on the west coast and we'll just go in alphabetical order although the sixers will be last because they're liam's team we spent about 20 minutes uh, on them we pre-recorded that a little bit earlier but now let's get to the atlanta hawks danny the hawks are 18 and 42 god these are going to get depressing when we as we get further into this four and seven since the last 15 and 60 they are negative 5.6 net rating is 27th 26th in offense 26th in defense they're not making the playoffs and where i wanted to go with this was catching up on torian prince talented player and i think a big part of what you and i were so intrigued by this year with him was really what he was be and that was a couple of different things that was offensively what kind of role was he going to have it was clear it was going to be off ball but you know was going to be a shooter was going to be kind of a slasher and then where would they put him defensively would he be a three would he be a four and I think we have a clearer answer at least to me on the second one of those questions defensively he's played 86 percent of his minutes at small forward when you look at the kind of his strengths as a player I think that I think they fit a little bit better to me there he he moves his feet better 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 maybe than I thought he would coming out of Baylor and maybe he can be a four in certain circumstances but it certainly seems like the Hawks see him as a three and it's the most scarce position in the league so I understand why yeah you would like to see more minutes with him at the four at some point perhaps with the departure of Ursan Ilyasova which we'll get to we'll see more of that because they really lack now any kind of a shooting option at the four unless they are going to have him play up but as you mentioned he's really the only traditionally three side guy on the roster at this point it is the scarcest position so you have to imagine that he likely will end up there my thought on him this year three and d at that position is excellent you know you're going to talk a little bit more about where his defense is but i think i'm losing hope on him becoming more than just a spot up shooter and defender type of guy i think he's a little bit too limited in terms of both his juice off the bounce and in particular explosion and 
at the rim and that also puts a little bit of a ceiling on his defense as well now having strength decent feet decent length and size like that's all important but he's not really a guy who is a huge steal or block guy he's not someone who really makes offensive players uncomfortable i think he's more going to be solid and granted for that 2016 draft which was not a great one for the fact that you need just a starting caliber player on the wing that certainly can be useful but he's not you know you don't never see him with like spectacular dunks and you don't see him finishing acrobatically at the rim he's not really a fantastic passer either you know his pick and roll game leaves a fair amount to be desired at this point he doesn't get to the foul line and so i think we're looking at him as a guy who is going to be maybe an adequate enough offensive player to make some shots when he's fully formed this is his age 23 season a guy who maybe can attack a closeout but not incredibly effectively and hopefully can make open shots i don't foresee that much upside for him on either end but even having someone who is just solid enough to play the three is a valuable resource in today's league the most surprising element of his season to me has been the shift away from i'll phrase it in this way i'll phrase it in the more positive the shift to three-point shooting and so that is in terms of both attempt rate and also success so his three-point attempt rate that's the proportion of his shots that are from three has gone up from 36 percent to 45 percent that's a lot and there are downsides to that which i'm going to talk about in a second but he's also making more of them he's at 37 percent right now and when you look at the distribution of his possessions other than transition and even that is is pretty small relatively he's been a spot-up guy and, and really he's been successful overall a little bit under a point per possession there and those are other than transition for some guys the most efficient shots that you have so it's impressive that he's been able to do that uh, when i watch him i don't see a guy who's just like oh yeah he's he's gonna be a 37 percent three-point shooter the rest of his career but they've leaned to that more and if teams are going to start respecting it that has benefits throughout the throughout the offense because then that creates space for everybody else one of the things that you seized on here that i'd like to elaborate on is his work as a pick and roll ball handler actually 130 possessions this year finished with a shot of turn or turnover out of pick and roll really has not evolved a ton there he is one of the worst players in the league 0.55 points per possession on 130 possessions and i haven't looked at the numbers but i'd imagine out of guys who have run that many pick and rolls and we're talking about uh, about three a game or so uh, at this point which is not that many but still you know that's a a decent number that he's got to be among the worst in terms of his efficiency and a big part of the reason for that is that he really unless he's getting all the way to the basket does not have the game to create a, much of a, de- a decent shot jumpers off the dribble out of pick and roll 0.69 points per possession floaters he's made one out of nine and then if he gets all the way to the rim only one point per possession there so that's not really amazing either and then he's also not really some uh, unbelievable passer out of pick and roll either and he's really going to struggle to be efficient because he's not a guy who's comfortable shooting off the dribble he's not really that quick or crafty with the dribble to like get guys on his back and and force the defense to react and then he's not incredibly explosive uh, at the rim and so 
even to have him doing this much pick and roll handling it is too much for him at this stage and sure this is hawks university let him spread his wings a, a little bit but i think he'll be much better when he's got other guys to set him up and i do think with the lack of guys to set him up on this team the fact that he's been able to shoot it decently from three is a, at least a, a positive indicator although again just with the number of attempts hard to say where he'll eventually fall in his career as a three-point shooter um the last thing i want to talk about with them is the now buyout of ursa so we'll see how much money that actually ends up saving them maybe that he ends up getting part of that room exception from the sixers and they actually end up saving some millions of dollars here but you'll recall that they had full bird rights on Ilyasova, signed him to a, a one-year deal for about six million dollars but then were unable to trade him because he had veto rights with uh he would have lost his bird rights if he went elsewhere and then and there even were discussions that he was could be traded to the sixers and then of course he now wants the buyout and he's going to the sixers and it really ultimately made little sense to bring him back because he probably helped them win more games than would have been good he took away from the development maybe of guys like john collins although you do want to have those guys in competition to some degree you know so they're not just being gifted minutes you're going to have some accountability which perhaps he provided but usually you'd say all right if you're going to just spend money on these guys you might as well you know the idea is okay he sticks around for half the year helps you your young guys develop a little bit and then you're able to at least get something for him in trade but because of the fact that he had the veto they didn't get that so they spent i mean they don't have it's not like they're you know they needed him in there to reach the salary floor their team salary right now is basically right at the cap we'll see how much he ends up giving back so they could have saved ownership money they could have left some room to take on a bad contract from maybe a taxi maybe they could have taken on like a jason smith or something from washington they could have had that deal available uh, i know he has money for next year maybe they could have gotten into the the noah vonley sweepstakes or or something like that but and even then if that wouldn't have worked out i think the process would have been better there to just leave the space open rather than signing him because he did have those veto rights uh, on the trade so i I think that ended up not really going that well for them uh, for that reason if if you want to say if it weren't for those veto rights then maybe it would have made more sense to sign with that contract but he won them games he didn't get them any assets and then he also cost them space that they could have gotten assets for to take on some other money i'm a little less critical of it than you are partially because and i'm not i'm not to be clear i'm not like that critical of yeah. it. i mean i wasn't and it's not it's like not at the time we're like oh this is a terrible signing you know i mean like this but I, I think it's just it's it's instructive that i think it's fair to say it didn't work out i'm not i don't know that i was that critical of the decision at the time but it does seem like if they'd gotten more of a sixers s approach you know that's like sam hinky would have never signed a guy to that contract right and i'm sure it helped him i mean sam hinky also wouldn't have signed amir johnson to his contract and there are parallels there except at least they could have traded amir johnson which yeah. which the well and johnson has actually helped them and that's sure. a team that's actually trying to yeah win. that's trying to, yeah, that, trying to win yeah that's a good distinction to yeah. make and also worth remembering with hawks you'd say oh well you know they have the worst record in the league they're 18 and 42 actually technically the suns are at 18 and 43 so they're one game off but remember something that we've talked about before that the teams at the bottom should be lower and we it's not fair to give the hawks credit because the kings and the and Suns have won more close games than they quote unquote should have like they, they would they would be a couple games behind 
behind them probably and that's significant in this race so it worked out reasonably in that way and also worth remembering they were trying to get assets for Bellinelli as well they got nothing for him he's going to went to the same team and I've floated the idea before it's even more striking now that it this could end up being kind of like a slow motion trade where they end up taking Jared Bayless depending if they take Jared Bayless this summer to take on his money but instead this way the Sixers will pay Ilyasova and Bellinelli less it'll be less on their books and you know they could go moving forward it would have been nice I guess to have oh no they would have lost bird rights on Ilyasova anyway so it could still be the slow motion trade but the Hawks aren't really getting anything for it except for what they could get for taking on Bayless yeah and and I mean hey you know what Uh, we'll see how much he gives back in the buyout but and they just kind of spent six million dollars of ownership's money to make the draft pick worse right I mean that's that's as a new GM it would be nice to be able to go to your owner and be like hey you know what like this is six million bucks that we saved you this year uh because again they're well above the salary floor even had they not uh, brought him in i will get to the boston celtics momentarily but first this uh, from me undies made from a sustainably sourced naturally soft fabric that is three times softer than cotton i can attest i I didn't do a softness test personally but i can attest that they are extremely extremely comfortable by far the most comfortable underwear that i have owned they sent me a bunch of them i bought a bunch more and basically my underwear drawer now the me undies are always on the top and i wear all them and then when i run out of those and get down to the pairs that i used to wear i start really thinking uh, about the laundry (laughs) and getting it those pairs back it really is the first pair of underwear that i have had where you just don't realize that you have them on during the day they never bunch up you're never like pulling down i mean even if they're in kind of a boxer brief type of cut normal boxer briefs you're like oh man these legs are like riding up the side you don't have that issue with me undies and you don't have to take my word for it because they offer 100 percent satisfaction guarantee if you don't love your first pair you can get a full refund but that full refund won't be that much because you're getting 20 percent off your first pair with free shipping by using that familiar slash cat space url meundies.com slash cat space is that url to get 20 percent off free shipping and that 100 percent satisfaction guarantee meundies.com slash cat space that'll let them know that you came from us as well so let's talk a little bit about the celtics at 42 and 19 projected now to be a whole five games behind the toronto raptors when it is all said and done the raptors with a two-game lead on the celtics in the loss column the celtics have played three more games still than the raptors have and worth noting too that the raptors point differential is double that of the celtics 8.5 to 4.1 net rating wise and do you think they have any kind of a chance at the number one seed to me it seems like either especially since they're trending downwards and the raptors as we'll talk about it are trending upward don't really see them with a great chance the number one seed and now they almost have to hope that the cavaliers fall from the three seed to potentially be even lower which uh, the Cavs has fallen so far back to the pack now and some of these teams below them are playing well enough that that may even not be fait accompli that the Cavs will be the three seed Boston certainly has a chance I mean we saw the run that they went in but the big challenge for them is their offense their defense is still number one it's been strong even after the win streak which feels like a lifetime ago but it's still impressive and still a part of this and their offense does have some really troubling structural stuff I mean the, the thing that stands out to me is that they don't do some of the fundamental just like easy offense things and so what 
I mean by that is they don't get to the free throw line and they don't get to the rim very much. And when they get to the rim, they've been really ineffective. They're second to last in field goal percentage at the rim. And so sometimes, you know, that can be, oh, you're getting fouled or something else like that. And so you're getting these other spillover benefits. They are not. They are taking a lot of threes. They are making a lot of threes, but that is a part of a successful offense, not an entire successful offense in and of itself. Yeah, their other problem, they never get an offensive rebound. And not only are they ineffective shooting at the rim outside of Kyrie Irving, but they also never get to the foul line, right? I mean, that's a big part of getting to the rim is you get fouled when you go to the basket. In theory, that's how it used to be, at least in the NBA. We see so many more fouls on the perimeter these days, even with the the new rules this year. And that's the one thing Kyrie, who's been an unbelievable offensive player, that's an underrated downside of his game right now is that he doesn't get to the foul line. And and that's a a big downgrade from what Isaiah Thomas gave them last year. He was one of the highest free throw attempt guys in the league, whereas Kyrie, you know, he averages like four or five a game generally. Uh, The defense still remains really good. Uh, The other thing I wanted to talk about with them is the evolution of Kyrie Irving since he left Cleveland. He's got a career high in true shooting percentage, 60%. His previous career high had been 58%, which was last year. Usage actually, despite the fact that that Cleveland team last year had far more threats than Boston does this year, actually about the same. Uh, 31% this year high uh, 30.8 last year but he's taking better shots 6% more of his shots are three-pointers this year he's also hitting 54% on two-pointers outside of 16 feet which is absolutely ridiculous I mean that's for a high volume guy I can't remember anyone ever shooting that high uh, on jumpers outside of 16 feet he's also shooting a career high 66% at the room which is 6% better than last year for a guard like him who's that high volume and who doesn't get fouled that much too i mean he's just an absolute magician at the rim and so how is all of that happening well you'd think oh man he's the only threat on this team so he's probably running pick and roll a lot more he's probably going into isolation a lot more au contraire this year 30 percent of the time is the pick and roll ball handler and last year he was 34 percent of the time this year 16 percent of the time he's in isolation last year 21 percent of the time uh and maintaining about the same efficiency in both of those a little higher efficiency in isolation a little higher efficiency last year in isolation a little higher efficiency this year out of pick and roll and so combined that's taking about 10 percent of his offense out of what you might think of as more self-created and moving it instead into handoffs and coming off screens those two now combine to be 20 percent of his offense whereas last year there were only nine percent of his offense so you see the difference there in the system especially the stuff on the wing the dho is moving more off the ball uh, he's been a more effective cutter this year as well which again you'd think hey he's got lebron james on his team there's all this spacing like you should have been able to cut a lot no it's really the boston offensive system is just so clearly better than the cleveland offensive system and i think that's part of why other than the fact that he wasn't the same physically the isaiah thomas struggled to some degree because the system in cleveland is all right we're going to throw it to lebron james and we have some sets but there isn't a flow to it there isn't a side to side chain together 
of actions the, the way there is in Boston. And so it's been very impressive how Brad Stevens' system has been able to get Kyrie to have a better individual offensive season this year, despite the fact that there is so much more shooting and so much more talent on that Cleveland team last year offensively than there is this Boston team this year. One other thing along those lines that I feel like we should note is that, yes, Boston's defense is, or sorry, offense is concerning, but they've been pretty solid when Kyrie's been on the floor. 108 offensive rating when he's out there. That's not near the top guys. You know, it's not near where the the Rockets with Harden or anything like that, or even the Cavs with LeBron, but it is around kind of where the Blazers are with Dame Lillard, where the Thunder are with Westbrook. It's just that when Kyrie's off the floor, their offense is an absolute disaster. And so you can say, oh, well, they'll be a little bit better. But the, but one of the things that I think we've taken away from the playoffs the last few years is that if you really want to make a push and the Celtics, you know, winning around is probably not, it, it's not enough for, I think, a lot of people to be happy with where they are, especially because they're probably going to get the two seed at worst. They'll need to be able to score more reliably. And so maybe Kyrie, spectacular isolation player, can he can create more in those circumstances. But the question is going to be, you know, is 108 enough, even though that's better than the overall picture? Yeah, that's a good point. And that reminds me, I think it was Hollinger who did this research early in the 2000s about does defense win in the playoffs, right? And I think he, he found, I don't know if it was statistically significant, but that as of that time in general, teams that skewed towards being better defensively did slightly better than expected in the playoffs. Teams that were really good offensively did slightly worse. I feel like since you got the, to the LeBron heat really started kicking into gear playing Bosch at center that we've seen that all of the teams that have been real serious contenders have been unbelievable offensive teams and I think we've really seen that when teams have great offenses that even the best defenses can really really struggle to stop them maybe the exception would be the Warriors when they went with Draymond Green at center but when they didn't do that they still couldn't stop Cleveland in these last couple of years right especially last year's finals for example and then Houston's amazing offense this year maybe you could say that that Houston San Antonio series is the outlier in what I'm talking about but generally I think we've seen the best teams of late have skewed a little bit more towards offense than defense and if you don't have a team that has the firepower to put up a buck 10 a buck 15 in the playoffs on a pretty regular basis that you could very well struggle in the playoffs I think that just we've seen more so than ever before I mean you could just look at it this year too I mean just to say hey you know what like this Boston defense okay you know what they've been pretty good so far they've had some real good defensive games but they don't have anyone you look at as like oh man we just cannot score on this one guy you know it's just the best offenses you don't see them as like or I'm sorry, the best defense, you don't see it as like, we just can't score on this team, right? It's like, all right, they slow they slow the offenses down more than the other teams do, but it really seems like the best offenses are much better than the best defenses in this day and age. And so I'm not sure that being a defensively focused team is going to cut it for these guys in the playoffs. They You got to have that top end firepower on offense. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. And it will be something that we clarify this year and one other team I want to mention in terms of those defenses I think just just briefly that OKC team in 2016 while they were good on both ends of the floor that defense was really stifling yeah at times in the playoffs I sure. think they were I mean the, their big problem during that regular season was kind of a lack of discipline and effort but when some of their guys ramped it up uh, I agree with you um quickly Greg Monroe has not helped much uh what's been noteworthy just we talked about how the system has really helped Kyrie Irving I think especially because 
Monroe uh, has played so much with the second unit you know it's very early but he's had almost half of his possessions have been out of the post 38 percent of the time which is a, a huge number we, uh, Liam's going to talk about later on the Sixers about how Joel Embiid leads the NBA with about 43 percent of his possessions out of the post and Greg Monroe is not Joel Embiid now th- granted it's early but he has not been particularly efficient out of the post and <coughs> <clears throat> and then you see that if you break down where his shots are coming from 73 percent of his shots are coming from three to ten feet those are pretty much the post-ups there and, and he's only hitting 27 percent of those shots and he's not just that much of a kill you in the post type of guy i think he's can be solid on the offensive glass he can be a solid role man he can finish around the rim even though he's not that explosive he can pass from the elbows that's where it comes from for me if you're just dumping it down to him in the post i don't think he's gonna be that effective so i, I wouldn't expect him to continue to get used this way i think with the return of marcus smart perhaps they can at least get a little bit more ball handling so they don't just have to dump it into him in the post when he plays aaron baines has missed their last game with an elbow and he's questionable for monday we'll see how much he plays but if he keeps playing like this he's not gonna be any better than aaron baines was and is for them ready move on to the Brooklyn Nets yeah I think that was uh that was plenty uh, on the cells the Nets 19 and 41 they are one and nine in their last 10 games whether they are trying to tank which they are not uh, or whether they're just bad uh they are really struggling and they are right in the mix uh for some of those top lottery seeds negative uh, 4.5 net rating is 24th in the NBA they have the 25th ranked offense and the 22nd ranked defense we had praised them for being in the high teens in defense that has begun to regress of late. I'm excited because I deliberately told you not to look down at the bottom of the net section because what the question that we wanted to look into was what's gone wrong for them? Because since January 22nd, they are 1-12, in 12, which is distinctly not great. They are 28th in net rating. And part of that is because they are 30th dead last in defense. And when you're behind the sun, something is really going wrong. They're also 1-5 in, yeah. in close the games. 30th in those in those those 12 games correct in those in the in that period yeah. 13 games and so i was looking into this and then i went and then I, I what i wanted to do was say okay during that time period and then look at the whole nets team and look at a basic stat net rating one player on the brooklyn nets has played in almost all of those games not all of them played 14.4 minutes per game and has a net rating of negative 29 any guesses yeah well we hit on this a little bit when we did the uh tank preview that jewel oak for so i'm guessing it's probably him because he has been uh had like a negative over a negative 20 net rating for the season and i think last year he had the worst net rating of any player in the nba and i don't know what the what the minutes threshold was for that but he's well on his way to doing that again this year right and a certain portion of it yeah they have a 94 offensive rating when he's on the floor and that is not entirely that's not even really close to his fault but the 122.7 defensive rating yeah i mean that a center is supposed to be a lot better there that is significantly worse yeah. than what they've been overall during that well, time well and you know what though i'm not sure that that offensive rating isn't his fault i mean he, granted he played on some terrible sixers offenses he's probably not playing a ton with the, their point guards although now he'll get a chance to with russell and dinwiddie both available but i don't think he really helps an offense that much especially since he hasn't been scoring particularly well himself which he, he used to do you know he doesn't space the floor he wants to just hang out in the block and post up and gum up the spacing so 
I, I do think he probably deserves some blame for that as well even though we think of him as an offensive player I, I do think that he may be a part of the problem offensively as well I think just his track record is starting to indicate that and you can understand how that might come about no arguments there I think he's a, a bigger culprit on the defense just because that's what the center does but it's also worth noting that oh for sure yeah yeah, yeah. So, so, I'm not arguing that sure. point in the slightest and so it's worth noting that it's not like he is killing the Nets they haven't been good in any configuration really during this time and one thing that I've also been looking at is they played 132 minutes with Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell together with Jeremy Lin out this year those are their two point guards when they've been healthy and they're they've been outscored by 10 points per 100 possessions when those two guys play together and that's bad I mean obviously but what I find fascinating about it is it's way worse than the Nets have been with just Dinwiddie and that is now a mix of starters and bench units early on it was like oh Dinwiddie in the bench they're killing everybody's benches but now you know he started for a long time but it's not too far off what D'Angelo Russell is by himself so still a lot of sample I I said on the Twitter NBA show on Saturday that I want to watch a lot more of D'Angelo Russell in late mid to late March once I feel he's 100% assuming nothing happens but that part of it is interesting that Dinwiddie plus Russell is more has the effects more like Russell than Dinwiddie we can also talk uh, about Karis Levert 52% true shooting is a three or four points below uh, the league average but he has upped his usage significantly in part because he has been perhaps overstretched a bit as a backup point guard turns it over a ton but also has a very high assist percentage cleaning the glass characterizes him as a wing again i think he's played a fair amount of point guard this season which is going to bump all those numbers up the shooting for him he started off at really a ghastly pace but now at about 34 percent on above the break threes that is pretty decent and getting up a pretty good number of attempts as well what's really dragging down the efficiency for him is his shooting on long twos which is only 34 percent and also not really effective from floater range he is under 35 percent overall on twos away from the rim but his finishing at the rim has actually been encouraging getting 167 attempts there and 60 percent is pretty solid for a guy like him who's not incredibly explosive they do play with a fair amount of spacing which definitely helps him but that finishing at the rim is encouraging and i think he's relatively on track to be what we had hoped he could be as kind of a secondary playmaker type of guy certainly not the guy you want as the number one option with the ball in his hands but if you swing it to the other side i think he can make a decent play and it's also getting to where he can probably hit spot ups reasonably enough i think what's really going to determine the course of his career is the defense and if he can be effective enough defensively to really be a two and because you remember right like most point guards are not going to be the stopper so if you're the two you got to at least kind of be average defensively he's not going to be a dominant offensive player but he's good enough to be a starter maybe if he's fully formed offensively but he's got to defend at an average rate i don't think he's anywhere close to that at this point he's kind of got a very upright type of stance he's, he's more of a glider not a guy who has a ton of length or intensity semi-decent steal rate but really is you don't see him really making a, a ton of defensive plays he's got to get stronger as well if he's going to have any kind of a a switch ability um 
but I do think he's made strides this year. I think he's on track. The three-point shooting is up a little bit. The assists being way up for 36 minutes is impressive as well. I like him more as a second unit guy who can, because the responsibilities on both ends of the floor are just different there. But you are flexible enough, especially with the Nets who just have a talent deficit right now, to play it out. And he still has, after this year, two more years on a rookie scale contract and then restricted rights. So they can be patient with him. We have more of a book on Levert than I thought we would because injuries are part of the reason he fell and he you know played last year and then has gotten to play this year so that that part is encouraging but i i don't think at this point you know you sacrifice any other opportunities because you have karis Silver. you just hope that he works out and if he get if he earns that place in the rotation and earns that place ideally in the starting lineup then you let him run with it let's talk about charlotte now they had a nice victory today against the pistons they now actually have surpassed the pistons in terms of playoff odds but 27 and 33 on a nice run seven and four in their last 11 games 0.3 net rating actually positive that ranks 16th in the nba if we're doing the playoffs by net rating they would actually make it uh they have the 13th ranked offense and the 14th ranked defense but because of their bad luck in close games they and the fact that the rest of the east playoff picture has been pretty hot as well aside from maybe miami they uh have 24 percent chance at the playoffs but i think that's a little higher than it's been but the big news out of charlotte well, do you want to talk about that Detroit Charlotte game first and then we'll get to the Rich Cho thing? Sure. The most startling thing about that game was that it was the, the big win was keyed by a huge, huge push by their second unit. Their bench has been atrocious this whole year, but it's now healthy. They, they're they playing a lineup that is Carter Williams, Lamb, Travion Graham, Frank Kaminsky, and Cody Zeller. And they had a 23-4 push that started as Kemba Walker like, as soon as he went to the bench. And yeah, Detroit, you know, they, they can be a little bit a little bit inconsistent there but I thought they a lot of it was just the Hornets outplaying them and some of it was Detroit missing shots so I thought that was significant and this game provided a reminder to me I mean the bench part of it yeah that's a little bit ridiculous but they also want it going away that there were reasons why you and I were optimistic about what the what the Hornets could be and and at full strength and they've been sabotaged to a degree by their bench and they've had some bad injury luck this year but they are a talented team and so they could end up being I think it's more likely they're a spoiler of sorts rather than a team that makes it in just because they can beat a lot of teams. And I thought Dwight Howard was really engaged today in a game where they the opposing team started two tr- kind of more traditional bigs, even though Blake's shooting more threes. He had a nice game overall. And so it reminded me of, yeah, like, oh yeah, these guys can beat a lot of different teams and they'll be a factor in this. And I don't think they're going to start, you know, trying to lose anytime soon, if at all. So you had another couple of interesting <laughs> stats uh about them that i think you should probably say but before we get into kind of rich joe's record and the news potentially about who his replacements uh replacement or replacements might be sure so i talked i alluded to the idea that their their bench has been sabotaging them this year they have a negative 8.2 net rating this season when neither dwight nor zeller is on the floor which is a good proxy for those minutes that they're just kind of scrambling to make it work 922 possessions is a pretty decent sample there also since the last 50 and 60 i had previously previously noted that they had this crazy long losing streak in games decided by three points or fewer that streak ended at 14 not because the game had already been settled but most Bates hit at three in garbage time to take it from a five-point win for the Hornets to a three-point win and that kind of shows how ridiculous and amazing the streak was that just that sort of thing hadn't happened before but so it was it had been about 22 months since they won a game decided by three points or fewer that is over and then the other part which would have been probably a bigger part of this if they hadn't beaten the crap out of the 
Pistons is they have this real strange ownership of the Wizards this year. They're three and zero, and the last two have been big blowout wins. And I'm sure some people would go, "Oh, you know, Washington, they were on a back to back. Yes, they were at home, but they had played Cleveland. Charlotte had played the night before. It just wasn't nearly as high profile a game. So that's weird. But it, it also does go to show the capability that this team has. It just you know they've been kind of snake bit this year for the second time out of three for their playoff hopes. They are four games behind the Heat right now, and they are projected by 538 to finish four games behind the Heat, 43 and 39 versus 39 and 43. Well, can I make a quick interjection there? Yeah. The other big problem they have is how far behind everybody else they are. Because, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, so so yeah, the Heat are, they're two games over 500 right now. The Sixers are six games over, and that's the next team. Yeah, the, that's going to be a problem. I mean, the, every other team is projected to finish in the East with 45 wins uh, or more. So really, the Heat is the only one that can catch. Now, the good news, perhaps, is there's nobody else who can come up behind them other than maybe the Pistons, who uh, have fallen off a, a bit but really i i think to get there you know maybe you can hope that the heat finish 500 and you know maybe there'll be an injury maybe this Dwayne wade thing is going to not work out we'll talk more about that in, in their section but for the hornets i really think i mean they would have to play they've got 22 games remaining right now at a minimum i think to get into this they would have to go six games over 500 so they would have to be 13 and 7 in their last or i'm sorry no they would have to be 14 and 8 in their last 22 to really get into this and yeah you know maybe they can do that they are seven and four they're kind of playing at, at close to that pace over their last 11 i'm not sure what their schedule looks like but it's gonna be a pretty darn daunting task and i think they're gonna if it happens it's gonna be more because of a miami collapse or maybe victor oladipo goes down again for the pacers or something like that then that they are just gonna be able to get so hot and play the, themselves in because they're they're not that type of team you know you that you see they're going to have a long stretch of winning more than like 60 percent of their games and even that would be a nice accomplish for them they actually have a very weird schedule because they so after tuesday's game against chicago which they damn well better win if they want to have a chance at boston at philly at toronto and then home against the sixers and then they play i think it's 10 games where they should be favored in eight of those 10 so if they can survive the tough stretch they'll get a, a little bit of a boost there but again even to get to 500 they're going to need to win a lot of that eight out of ten much less the the five before that that are pretty tough so uh, we've gone on for a bit here i did want to talk about cho's record but maybe we'll save that for the next time we discuss them his draft record in particular but there is news that with cho not having his contract renewed at the end of the season apparently he's still around not sure whether the new guy will be in place for the draft but buzz peterson a for uh michael jordan compatriot because you know there's a lot of nepotism in this organization talk is that he may be elevated i'm not sure why anyone who's been in the organization already would be elevated based on the record that they've had overall and then the other talk is that mitch kupchak hey guess where mitch kupchak went to school north carolina it could be brought in a little bit of weird reporting because there was this like taking pains by it was woja the story right i don't remember but i think so on Cho not having his contract renewed. i i'm nearly entirely sure that that's the case and interestingly enough of course mitch kupchak was 
on Woj's podcast a, a little bit ago. So you can kind of connect the dots there a, a little bit. But Woj was careful to point out that no offers have been made to Mitch Kupchak, and Mitch Kupchak has a reputation of not wanting to be discussed for jobs that aren't open yet, which is odd because Mitch Kupchak has been employed for the last 20 years with the Lakers before, you know, 20 uh, February of 2016 or 2017. So it does make this sound like this is kind of done, but there is this weird attempt to kind of make it sound like Mitch Kupchak isn't really going after Rich Joe's job because he's still in there to like just make it sound a little bit better. But I mean, Buzz Peterson, nothing really to indicate that he is is some great front office magician. Mitch Kupchak basically since 2012 uh, had been one of the worst GMs in the league. Perhaps some of that was Jim Buss as well, who's now been deposed. But part of uh, if Mitch Kupchak couldn't handle Jim Buss, he's probably not going to be able to handle the whimsy of Michael Jordan either. So all of this just strikes me as like, you know what? Like the fact that they're just recycling all these same guys, they're not even going to likely, I mean, maybe who's, we'll see. Maybe Buzz Peterson doesn't get brought up or, or maybe Mitch Kupchak doesn't actually end up getting hired. But if this does indeed come to pass, and it certainly sounded like it's, uh, if not fait accompli, pretty close to it from the reporting, to just not open this up at all to young GM candidates with other teams, to not try to do something that's new and daring you know maybe that's just what michael jordan wants because they didn't really try to trade Kemba walker they totally caved to public opinion on that it's all just smacks of well this is how you got here in the first place so we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again ownership is and, the greatest and, it's all, and it goes back yeah thank you sorry <laughs> I, was, I i interrupted you saying exactly what i knew you were gonna say Owner, uh, ownership so, is the greatest competitive continue. advantage in the national basketball association and it's frustrating when you can kind of see this slow motion the way that it is but i don't know there's not much we can do to change it so we can are, are there are there any bad teams like teams that have been consistently bad over the last 10 years that you would say have a good owner i mean obviously it's hard to separate those two things or are we going to count like, the sixers well, I mean, I, it is kind of, it's pretty sorry that they, it was impressive that they agreed to hire Sam Hinkie and sign off on his vision in the first place. It's really sorry that they caved into the pressure from whoever, by most accounts, the league, and then that they went with uh, the retread Colangelos in response to that pressure. So I don't know, I, I, I wouldn't say it's either way. I mean, we'll see, maybe if they're willing to pay the tax when they get good, you could say that. Um, yeah, it's not like the Nets have really been a powerhouse in terms of ownership yeah i, th- I think that's probably yeah, not, true yeah. and the consistently yeah, competitive the, teams, are, it's the same you know the yeah. consistently competitive teams and and some of that is you know it's it's outcome to it's it's just you know the reputation that you get from being successful but at the same point what you hear about those teams lines up with the idea that they are actually good owners yeah and for well maybe you could say that the jazz have not really consistently been that good since you know maybe 2010 although i think they have largely made pretty good moves in the front office they have haven't done very many things that i thought have just been like really bad maybe you could argue moving on letting paul Millsap leave in free agency without really making him an offer or not trading him before he left you could put that in there but there also is one natural counter to the good the good teams right now have good owners and that is a really complicated one with dan gilbert in cleveland i mean yeah well but, dan gilbert has also been unbelievably lucky and and, and willing to spend. he's a good owner yes yeah so so i mean if you want to say yeah 
yeah exactly so all right that, that was a bit of a departure there let's move on to the bulls speaking of top tier ownership chicago bulls are- yeah, it's actually here, here's one other point i want to make too because you know we haven't taken long enough on this but <laughs> and, and someday someday that'll maybe that should be our next stitcher uh pod actually is ownership rankings that would be fun but you know we've talked for so much about how organizations and gms seem to be and coaches all seem to be so much smarter than they used to be but i'm not sure that that's necessarily the case with ownership where you would say oh hey you know 25 of the 30 teams have good owner that, that's an interesting yeah, but would, would you say that more teams have better ownership than they did before just because some of the bad ones have cycled out not many some yeah and it's too early to say and a lot of them uh, True. also but it, it, it's surprising how many of these teams still have what seemed like pretty dysfunctional well, do, do you want my answer on this one well, element of this is substantially more a meritocracy than the other elements of this and that's the <laughs> one that doesn't turn over all right chicago bulls 20 and 39 two and eight since the last 15 and 60 28th in net rating 28th in offense 23rd in defense they're not making the playoffs and the thing i wanted to start with them is offensively they have a lot of work to do they are sixth in turnover rate which is good and especially when when you're a young team which they wish they are i mean they've been bouncing around their point guards a lot this year due to injury yeah and that's that's yeah. a nice when thing. you've got a lot of catch and shoot bigs i think that can kind of help you reduce your turnover rate it can but they're bottom five in three of the other four factors effective field goal percentage 29th offensive rebounding 26th and 29th in free throw rate so they're going to need a talent infusion i i love what larry marketing can bring for them but they're going to need that and i don't put that at hoiberg's feet for the most part i i like some of the stuff that they're doing i think they just need a changeover and they have been competitive in this in this time they had a really fun game against the sixers where one of the things we can talk about is bobby portis going for 38 points yeah we're going to talk about it a little bit more in the philly section as well he got going with some offensive rebounds and, and transitioning those are two of the things that he does well he's always run the floor hard he'll hit the offensive glass reasonably hard there's not a ton of power forwards to do that but he also was playing a lot of center and while he was getting worked by joel Embiid on one end he really was able to hurt Embiid. a lot of his plays were early offense pick and roll they ice it and then he's able to on the side and then he's able to just pop to three and Embiid was not able to get out at him and I think he hit four threes on Joel Embiid and then he hit another couple on Trevor Booker who was having some of the same difficulties and really you know it's rare that you'll see a guy drop 38 he obviously was very hot from outside but he really only had one or two self-created moves and he had one time where I think he was up to 34 points and it was in the late clock and he just took Amir Johnson off the dribble and took a tough floater that he was able to bank in uh, he also had one impressive finish out off an offensive rebound where he got his shoulder into Embiid and actually knocked him back and scored over him at the rim which you'll rarely see when Embiid is engaged he had a couple of nice cuts as well going back door and a couple of nice effort plays he was not trying really to post up very much I did like that he was able to use his left hand a little bit the game ended of course on an awful Denzel Valentine turnover the Bulls were up one with about eight seconds left Embiid does a great job denying the ball in bounds and valentine decided to throw it anyway despite the fact that they had a timeout remaining and he just threw the pass way off target Embiid like wasn't really even denying him that well against the sideline but he just threw it right to Embiid. Embiid found ben simmons and then they intentionally fouled simmons which was an interesting call i mean you saw that game did you think that that was the right move to intentionally foul simmons i mean it was it was kind of like you know a three on three type of situation and and simmons was right at half court they're in the bonus simmons is a crappy free throw shooter 
Schrader ended up making both of them but do you think that was the right decision on that play I didn't think too much either direction I I don't trust Simmons as a free throw shooter so probably I'm I'm fine with it it didn't seem egregious to me them not fouling him and fouling Redick instead the next time down was worse wait when was that or unless I'm conflating two different games which I might be yeah I think you are because that that was the last play because then the yeah 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 yeah. tried to come back down and score um that's right and and they they ran a nice play they lobbed it in from the sideline out of bounds to the opposite block to Portis he made the catch and bead was on him and I thought he did well to create a decent amount of space go up with the left hand but he just was too hard with it off the glass and you know for a guy who lacks explosion it's going to be tough to finish uh, over the 7-2 Embiid um also noteworthy we talked about this in the Tankathon podcast that they are basically sitting Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday now Holiday may come back because Zach Levine still isn't playing it in back-to-backs I think on, on Monday uh and they need something there at the two guard they're also playing a campaign as well and it's gonna be interesting to see whether this runs afoul of the NBA's resting guidelines it's not like they're playing like national tv games on saturday night uh, by any means but still i mean they're kind of part of those resting guidelines was essentially to prevent things like what the suns did with eric bledsoe last year and at least with bledsoe they had an injury history neither lopez uh, nor justin holiday has that so i highly doubt that this is going to get them in hot water and maybe the league is hoping that the change to the lottery structure next year is going to eliminate a a lot of this ridiculous behavior but i mean just sitting two starters uh, it's pretty abhorrent frankly uh even if it is of course rational and and they're simply responding to the incentives that are provided for them it's a hard situation because the incentives are there and they are changing long term but if there's another year like this it won't be that different because they they designed it to prevent a circumstance where it's like two teams racing to the bottom not seven and you know it'll be a little bit different but it won't be that different and god it's going to be rough to watch this team at certain moments you're going to have to really pick and choose just like get blinders on and be like okay i'm going to watch larry mark and i'm going to watch Levine, going to watch Dunn, and just pretend that Cristiano Felicio is not out there. Well, Felicio, I tried to dig in a little bit to the stats. I can't say that I've watched just like an absolute crap load of film of him this season because, you know, he they were just unwatchable early in the year, and I was kind of like, all right, I'm going to wait till some of their good players get back, and then he was just totally out of the rotation once Miritich returned. He has a negative 27.7 net rating on the season. I think a fair amount of that is just bad luck. Uh, when he's on the floor they're just shooting much worse on jumpers i'm not sure what would cause that other than just some of the guys that he's on the floor with they are shooting much worse at the rim but he is shooting as as well around the rim as he always does uh certainly his effort on defense did not look good early in the season from what little i saw i, I didn't watch that whole game to see how he was looking on friday but defensively basically teams take six percent of their shots from mid-rangers to threes when he's on the court that's not fantastic fantastic and they're also just shooting much better on, on three-pointers when he's out there again i don't know how much of that is really supposed to be his responsibility so generally when you have that bad of a, a net rating it's not be good but consider some of the guys that he was playing with i mean he was playing on their second unit when they didn't have chris dunn or early in the year as well and, and grant was starting grant's now out of the rotation as well 
So I, I'm not going to say that he's going to kill them as much as he has been killing them. And, and he's had periods of effective play these last couple of years. It doesn't make sense other than maybe that he just, you know, kind of screwed off during the offseason because he was a free agent and, and didn't get his normal work in or something to explain this. I, I, I don't, I mean, he may continue to be a net negative. He may continue to hurt them, but he's not going to continue to be this bad. And I think maybe it's not, it's not fair to put all of their struggles when he's been on the floor on him. That's totally fair, but I don't think we need to go into it more than that so let's move on to the cleveland cavaliers the Cavs are 35 and 24 6 and 4 since the last 15 and 60 slightly negative net rating negative 0.1 is 17th in the league fifth in offense 27th in defense they're obviously making the playoffs but what a difference a week makes because everything looked hunky-dory you know they they had that high profile win against the celtics right after the trade deadline then they beat okc in okc and then now since the all-star break they lost at home to Washington and San Antonio and their only win is at Memphis a game that they absolutely have to win and so what I kind of want to ask you is how are you feeling about where they are right now oh you mean the two games that they won before the break weren't evidence that every single one of their problems was fixed Danny well I do think that they have looked better still like if you look at the aggregate of, of those five games I think you could say they're looking at you know pretty average offensive teams overall maybe slightly below average and to have two big wins at boston and at okc and then even the memphis game to win that by 20 on the road only give up 89 points granted memphis not the greatest offensive team these days but nonetheless they couldn't stop anybody at all no matter how limited their offensive talent was before this and overall since the trade 104.1 defensive rating is totally solid the big difference in their wins and losses has you guessed it been three-point shooting they actually have taken more threes in their losses but in those three wins 45 percent three-point shooting in the two losses 23 percent three-point shooting uh so this is a team that's always going to be reliant on, on the three-pointer if they don't hit their threes but these are pretty decent shooters now who are, who are taking these this is they don't have Dwayne weight out there they don't have Derek Rose out there anymore LeBron wasn't going to shoot 40% on threes all year he's been hitting him okay in these five games since but again that's only five games but they're at least getting the three-pointers up which I think is important for their offense and it could be noteworthy that their two losses were home games against teams that were missing big stars both the Spurs and the Wizards I think at least the fact that they've shown the capability to defend reasonably well at times is a step forward so i i think you know there is the fact that they made these trades to expect them to be as much of a panacea as they first appeared it was never going to happen but at least they seem to be more engaged they have shown a little bit more of a ceiling i mean once isaiah had come back they really didn't play well in in essentially any game and now they are playing well some so i think this helps them i i'm still going to feel pretty good about their chances in the playoffs i think it's also interesting to discuss what the rotation has looked like because uh, ty lu has a, a ton of options now and it's interesting to check in on just how he's been using all these guys. He's been using a starting lineup of Hill, Smith, Chetty Osman, LeBron James, and Tristan Thompson, but then a lot of different combinations there after that. I mean, Larry Nance has been a part of it. I think his chemistry with LeBron has already been good, and that's not a surprise considering how good a passer LeBron James is. Clarkson's role has bounced around a little bit. He did look very good in that Boston game, playing with LeBron, being an off-ball shooter more in that realm. 7-14 also in the game against the, the 
Spurs, but then Rodney Hood has been playing more off-ball than he has in a long time. It does sound like he's okay with that, but it is certainly different than what he did. And then, you know, using Corver and Jeff Green, I think overusing Jeff Green considering the talent they have now. So a lot of different options. And as you said, Lou's going to have to figure this out. And also we'll see where it goes when the chips are down. But that part of it, I think we already know where he's going. Yeah, I think he does go to the more offensively focused laps. And in this game against the Spurs, they're down 10. He goes to a lineup with about seven minutes left, goes to a lineup with Jeff Green and LeBron at the four and five, Clarkson, Rodney Hood, and Kyle Korver out there. That is a, a unit that has size, but really you only, you don't have any players who are known for their defense with that unit. And part of the reason why he went there was because in this game, the three starting perimeter guys, Hill, JR, and Osman were three out of 21 and 0 for 10 on threes. And they shot terribly on threes overall, eight out of 32. So you can understand in some respects why he went away from those guys. But I was surprised that we didn't see as much of Nance. They also were just getting killed in the post in the fourth quarter by LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, they had Jeff Green guarding him and that just turned into an instant double. And there definitely was not a ton of connectedness there. I mean, the Spurs were playing DeJounte Murray and Kyle Anderson. So Patty Mills throws an entry pass to LaMarcus. Jordan Clarkson goes to double and then off of Patty Mills. And then they just throw it right back out to Patty Mills for a wide open three. No one rotates to Patty Mills when you've got two non-shooters on the floor that you could just leave. So that was that was disappointing, that particular play. And we saw a number of those type of mistakes. And they got killed overall by DeJounte Murray. They have in both those games this year. And for a team that still, to some degree, lacks athleticism and effort, Murray, he had four steals and three blocks in this game. He gets out of transition. He gets a ton of rebounds. You know, they're not really prepared to deal with that level of effort and athleticism. And then their defense is not able to take advantage of the limitations of guys like Murray and Anderson from a shooting perspective because they're just not quite connected enough. They're not doing, uh, you know, adhering to the scouting report quite well enough, despite the fact that they overall have looked a, a little bit better. So I want to get back to the minutes distribution here. Ty Lu, he now has 10 players averaging 17 minutes per game or more. LeBron, the only player averaging more than 30, he's at 36 minutes, despite the fact that they've had a couple of blowouts. And then George Hill is at 27 minutes. And then you go down to Corver with 17. And they're playing Smith, Tristan Thompson, Clarkson, Nance, Osmond, Jeff Greenhood. Like all those guys are, are in the rotation. And the one guy you would like to see them play a little bit more was the guy that the front office had really targeted, it seems like, more than anyone else, which was Larry Nance. Nance did not play that much against the Spurs. He's averaging 21 minutes a game, but he has a 19.4 net rating. And really, in their effectiveness during this period, it has been in large part the bench. Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, the only two Cavs in this period with negative net ratings. And so the starters just haven't looked that great. Uh, and the defense has not looked that good with the starters on the floor either but i do think this is a team now with all this depth uh, that they have they can really hurt teams uh, with their second unit which has not been the case in the past and they have guys like clarkson and hood who can create reasonably well on the second unit when lebron is out of the game at some point this rotation is also going to get a massive shakeup when kevin love coats back they're going to have to retool it and i think it's important to know what they have in the in the new additions especially larry nance because he overlaps with love to a degree they're going to have to figure out 
up yeah and thompson too i mean sure. are, are they gonna do and then you know it's gonna be interesting if nance and love are playing together nance is gonna have to guard on the perimeter a, a little bit more i'm not sure whether he's more comfortable there or as a root protector probably a little bit more so on the perimeter but asking him to guard stretch fours full-time it might be a, a little bit difficult nance and thompson can't really play together but they have plenty of guys who, who are combo fours but uh, the evolution of this lineup once love comes back i mean you it's impossible to play 11 guys I mean, they're probably even going to struggle to play 10 and is it going to be the old guard smith and thompson who get squeezed they're saying they want to get osmond more time we'll see how he continues to shoot the ball in the interim before love comes back could it be jeff green who lou really seems to like and has played well at times this year it's going to be tough to say do they play love at center at all anymore it's going to be very difficult to sort it out in ways that make sense and you know i'm not sure that Ty Lu is the number one guy I would be relying on to carve out rotations that make a ton of sense here with all these options. And the personal dynamics are going to be really complicated as well. I mean, not a ton of these guys have real equity with the team, but they do have well-earned reputations around the league. Rodney Hood is a pending free agent, even though he is restricted. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot to go through and Lou's going to have to do it. And some of it will be seat of the pants. They can say, hey, this guy's playing well, but you do need to have an overall thesis and and a battle plan because that's just how the playoffs work one other thing we wanted to talk about is jr famously made comments a couple of years ago about how he feels more comfortable shooting contested bad threes almost than wide open ones and he pulled some stats on that that has not been true this season i didn't really go back through prior years though i don't think it was that different off the top of my head i looked briefly he is shooting 39 percent on threes where the closest person is six feet or more away than 37 percent when they're when they're open and 32 percent when they're tight so tight coverage so that doesn't really line up with that reputation i haven't d- dug into it enough to know whether that is reflective of, of like an average nba player but it is weird that you do see him hit a lot of those contested ones but i think that's just like a sample bias issue let's get to detroit relatively disheartening after a 3-0 and start to the blake griffin era uh, they have tanked it to some degree now 28 and 31 six and six overall in their last 12 they're zero point negative 0.9 net rating is 20th in the nba they have the 20th ranked offense and the 12th ranked defense and a mere nine percent shot at the playoffs per 538 and in fact at 28 and 31 they are relatively behind the heat but have worse fundamentals than they do maybe it's not as dire as nine percent because you can make the argument that maybe they'll start to play better with blake griffin i'm not saying that the way they've played with blake is indicative of how they will the rest of the year maybe reggie jackson will come back and help them although he does not appear to be close yet i'd imagine he's at least two three weeks away just kind of started doing some straight line basketball activity it, it sounded like i shouldn't even call that basketball activity but he's not doing lateral stuff uh certainly not practicing but uh, and that loss to charlotte it was a big one that's some of their biggest competition and you know, the type of team that they really do need to beat if they're going to be in the, this playoff race how have they looked or i guess we should say how has blake griffin looked since uh, his arrival in detroit well so one of the the kind of the challenges with griffin in this modern iteration is going to be how he fares as a you know like as a shooter because that is now a bigger part of his game than than it was before so he's shooting 29 th- percent from three which is a big problem when you he's taken 53 since he got in there it's about a, a little less than a third of the shots that he's taken but he still has produced other elements of his success 
successful offense. I think that his passing has really helped. He's averaging 21 points, eight rebounds, and six assists per 36 minutes. Turnovers are a little higher than you like, but not terrible. And you do see, though, a little bit of the kind of the Blake Griffin that that has been the you know a concern moving forward that he doesn't have that you know explosion at the rim like he used to. He is still 66% there, which is better than average. But Blake Griffin used to be a whole lot better than average there. And it's also notable that that's a little over a quarter of his shots rather than being that. And yeah, he was a more complete offensive player, but those other shots aren't fault. Yeah, and I mean in his heyday, he was over 75% at the rim. And a big problem for him too. You mentioned the three point shooting. Well, he's shooting nearly as badly from floater range as he is from three a mere 10 out of 36 and that's a big shot for him because a lot of what he's doing is trying to post up he hasn't he's never been a guy who's gotten great extension on his jump hook he'll kind of go for floaters awkward hooks in the lane he'll try to face up drive go to a spin move in the lane and go up from from floater range and that 10 out of 36 has been ugly and it's in the nine games since the trade the pistons overall negative 1.2 net rating which is actually worse than their overall net rating on the season remember they had lost whatever it was eight straight or something up until right before he arrived i think they beat cleveland in the game before he arrived they are 18th in offense and 13th in defense since the trade but they have the third highest percentage of shots from floater range and they are 30th in percentage and a lot of that of course is griffin overall though as a team they in those nine games have been at 31 percent floater range now that's going to get a, a little bit better i mean the, nobody shoots that poorly as a team from that range all season uh but they're also shooting badly from mid-range and from three during that period and then uh, on defense no particular percentages stick out except that teams are shooting 67 percent at the rim since the trade which is uh, not good that's 24th in the nba and then they're giving up a ton of threes they're 29th in the nba in terms of allowing the fewest three-pointers so this is all again since the trade in the nine games since the trade so the defensive fundamentals have not been amazing teams are not taking a lot of twos outside the restricted area against them either so you might even expect that the defense could regress a little bit and then the offense just does not really seem to be generating the right type of shots it could get slightly better just because you know nobody shoots that poorly from floater range but this is not going to be a situation where Blake Griffin is turning them into some offense juggernaut and overall he's just shooting 38 percent from the field I mean that's just for a power forward a guy who's supposed to be an athletic power player and, and i think we can really we can re- officially close the book uh, on that part of griffin's career uh it's not looking good but the good news is there's only four years left uh, on his contract and, and this is that's what's so scary about this is this was supposed to be the year where he was still killing it and gonna at least propel them into the playoffs and it looks like that even is not gonna happen and so that was the gambit for this year and now they still have four more years to pay off of that contract and then the nasty bit of timing for them reggie jackson still making his way back they have a really rough schedule for the next couple weeks so they play to they play five teams that are ahead of them in the eastern conference playoff picture and three of those games are on the road they play at toronto at miami and at cleveland in eight days with home game against milwaukee and a a game in orlando so the miami game is back to back which is tough so if they you know you could see that as oh it's an opportunity if they win a couple of those games then they can really make up some ground that's true but 
I don't think they're playing at the level yet where you would expect that to happen. It would be a welcome surprise and really get them back into this mix. And I don't think that's going to affect their thinking. I think they're, you know, when you have Stan Van Gundy as the coach and GM and you have his pressures, I think they're going to they're going to push through this. And even then, they'll have a lot of winnable games after that. But it's going to be tough for them. And I just just looked down past that. Then at Utah, at Denver, at Portland shortly thereafter. So it, it doesn't really get much easier until that point. And by that, then they might be pretty much out of this because we they are going to need at least one team to fall back to them and by that point we'll have a better idea whether that's going to happen let's get to indiana 34 and 25 a scorching seven and two in their last nine games their 2.0 net rating is 10th in the nba maintaining an excellent offense seventh and the defense is all the way up to 16th uh they have a 92 percent chance of making the playoffs they're projected to finish with 45 wins and uh why don't we start with some of your observations here danny and then i wanted to talk about what their summer looks like because they probably have one of the more variable cap situations this summer in the entire league this one started with an innocuous idea basically how victor oladipo has been since the injury and it ended up going down a rabbit hole that i found fascinating i've watched some of the pacers but i will admit that they're a team i'm going to focus on a little bit in the next little while so victor oladipo you start out let's start out with the kind of the top line stuff so per 36 minutes his scoring and assists and usage are all about the same before and after his injury true shooting is down a little bit but then you go oh wow he's went from being a 42 percent three-point shooter before to 30 percent after that and so really what he has done to be successful has really changed and i would say that change is actually vaguely concerning just because it's in elements that you wouldn't necessarily say to persist so it's going to be the ebb and flow between these two things so he's relying a lot on the mid-range shooting a lot more of them than before and making he's making 46 percent from mid-range that doesn't really seem like his game at this point you know and so he's also been making a little bit more at the rim not really more in percentages but just a little bit of an uptick there so it's good that he has been able to be productive and be a part of this successful run that they've had since he's returned but he is going to need the three-point shooting come back to hope that that's that the 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 regression is that he's better significantly better than the 30 percent not that he was worse than the 42 yeah but i think the good news for him is that teams adjust to the way he was shooting yes. earlier in the year and i'm not sure that they have or will readjust to like starting to go under on him again in pick and roll or anything like that i think it's more to me about the threat of that off the dribble three-pointer than it even is necessarily making them and yeah i mean it helps to make those for sure but i think he as long as teams are guarding him like he can make it that's what's really going to open up the rest of his game now they are still getting relatively lucky on opponent three-pointers uh, but it's nothing incredibly fluky. You know, it's 35%. I mean, now that we've gotten to this point in the year, there aren't teams who are just giving up 30% on threes the way there were earlier in the year. Uh, and they are still allowing the third highest percentage of opponent shots from downtown at 34%. That is not very good at all. And so if teams, if that just normalizes, it'll hurt them more than it might other teams because they give up so many three-pointers. Let's move to their summer. And there are four players who two of whom have player options two of whom have non-guarantees which uh, the pacers control that leaves them they could have anywhere from 17 million in space if they keep slash uh, all those guys opt in up to 52 million dollars in space so why don't we just go through and talk about the decisions on, on these options we'll start with thaddeus young who 
has a player option the last year of his deal for 13.8 million dollars do you believe that he will opt into that god that's one of the tougher option decisions that's out there the the reason that i think he'll probably pick it up is just that there are so few teams that can make him that kind of annual value offer because he has to coming out of this you have to be expecting unless his agent knows of another offer that's on the table that the best you're going to do is probably the mid-level exception there just aren't that many slots at like 12 million or something like that and or even 10 i mean that that's a a real challenge for him and so unless he really wants to be out of there or to have his to have his control over his destiny which is certainly possible and we'll find out a lot more about that the security of just going good getting it this year and then being an unrestricted free agent next year when there are much a much larger supply of teams that are interested and have the kind of space that he's going to be worth is significant there and i mean 13.8 million is a lot of money yeah a lot of movies parts here for young who will be 30 this offseason he still uh, is a starter this year i would be very surprised if he were able to make more next year than that 13.8 million however at age 30 for a guy who's you know a solid starter has been for a couple of years but between 30 and 31 you can drop off you know from that level maybe if he even is starting for this pacer team there's a chance that depending on what else they do at their cap space maybe they pick up a, a guy who could compete with them or at the very least reduce his playing time he's in a very luxurious situation right now where they don't have any kind of a decent backup at the four whatsoever behind him that may not be the case next year that person could come in and and outplay him he's not going to know at the time he has to decide on that player option whether they're in fact going to bring someone else in at the four and there are some decent combo forwards out there who or maybe glenn robinson the third starts playing better and he, he plays some at the four as a small ball type of option i think if i were him and i believed that i could get a four-year offer at the full mid-level exception with the the maximum five percent raises or maybe if you could get the pacers to re-sign you for maybe three years at at 10 million a year you know three or 30 million dollar type of deal i probably would take that if i were him because while the 2019 market is in theory going to be better for players a lot of players are probably going to take one-year deals you would imagine get back onto the market and then there's also just the the age and where he is i mean 30 year old players like you know if you can get a four-year deal i think you have to think very seriously about it so that's kind of where i'd see it with him i agree with you i would not expect him to opt out but maybe it could happen and if it does maybe he might end up going elsewhere but uh that's a really interesting one the other player option is Corey joseph 7.9 million dollars for him he will be only 26 amazingly enough this uh, off season and it's a very interesting dance there too because the pacers also have this non-guarantee uh, on darren collison that guarantee uh, or it's two million guaranteed but uh the guarantee date is july 1st so joseph will not know whether the pacers are going to keep keep collison or not he might be more inclined to stay if they weren't going to keep keep Clausen and he might become the starter a lot of moving parts there too what do you think on him I don't think he's delivered enough so far and he's going to have this opportunity as Carlson continues to miss some time after that knee surgery to say okay I'm the guy that you need to commit to the the analog here would be it's a different cap climate now but like something like DJ Augustine you know you want to reach that level of saying okay this is our guy and yes the supply of back backup point guards are still really valuable in the league we've seen this in their absence over the last couple of years years i don't think he's going to get near that amount of money and he's young enough at 26 where waiting another
another year isn't going to kill his value in that sort of way. The the pivot point for him could be the playoffs if he has a nice run, not even necessarily related to the team success, but if he just looks like he can hold his own there, that maybe you think a team, maybe with the taxpayer mid-level or something like that, would be willing to go with him. But there just aren't that many of those jobs that you have to say, okay, I'm sure I'm going to be some team's guy. So if I, if I were him right now, I would be expecting to pick it up. Yeah, that's my feeling as well. I think a lot of players are going to be very scared. A lot of agents are, are going to be very scared. For him, it's much more about just finding that one specific destination. We'll see whether teams, for example, have drafted a point guard or maybe teams with young point guards might want to bring him in as kind of a veteran caretaker kind of guy, uh, maybe on a, a similar type of contract to the one that Collison got, but maybe fully guaranteed something like a two-year, $10 million per season. Uh, but again, with the limited number of teams with cap space, the difference between he and Young, you mentioned is the age, but also if a team were willing to give him the full mid-level exception, that's a raise. And it's also four more years. I think, I don't know that any team is going to want to really bring him in as a starter type of player. Hey, maybe the Magic, will, uh, they need a backup one card. Maybe they'll, they'll sign him. Uh, they really don't have any, actually the Magic don't really have any kind of uh, incumbent player who's a starter level guy at, at point guard. So a lot of that's just going to depend on where we are coming out of the draft. Um, I think that one is pretty close to 50-50. Um, I, I think he'd be more likely to opt out than Young, but I probably would still lean towards him opting. So then we get to the two non-guarantees, Boyan Bogdanovich, 10.5 million 1.5 million guaranteed his guarantee date is june 29th so before the start of free agency and then darren collison very similar structure 10.0 million and 2 million guaranteed but his guaranteed date as mentioned is july 1st this is in the hands of the team my thinking is they would probably move on from bogdanovich and keep collison both because he's 500,000 less has more guaranteed and a guy who could be a, a solid stopgap uh, at point but then they'll also know whether joseph has opt out as well if, if joseph opts out then maybe they're more likely to keep him a, on that non-guarantee so that's going to be a big part of it as well but i think collison i think bogdanovich especially in this market if you can offer more than the mid-level exception which is what you know that 10 million dollars is uh that you can do better than him uh, for that type of contract and they also can use that money to offer more than just the one year that he's uh, on the team and this is a young team now that's trying to build so i think you would probably dump bogdanovich and then collison you know i think it'll a lot of it'll depend on what happens with joseph and also what happens in the point guard market whether they feel like they can upgrade on him at point guard and they should have a pretty good idea of that by july 1st they'll also have to get a good sense of when they want to use the space that they're going to generate because if they want to spend it on a player i mean there there will be some serious bang for your buck in 2018 for sure but if they just don't really like the supply of guys i mean the, the restricted market i think a lot of those guys are going to come back they're doubtfully a player for the real top guys so they have a more complicated decision because if they would just pick up those up pick up those partial guarantees and then just make them fully guaranteed then they basically have all this stuff if Thad Young and Joseph pick up their options they have a lot of stuff that washes away and then they can get a lot of space at the same time happens to be that Miles Turner is a restricted free agent so they could just really set themselves up to say hey look we're, we're a great destination to all of these players and you only need one they probably only need one player they'll have Oladipo they'll have Miles Turner and Sabonis who will still be on, on team control so I'm probably more amenable to it to picking up Bogdanovich than you are just because I think Young I think it's a little bit more likely than you do that Young and Joseph are going to pick up their options but with Bogdanovich I agree with you that they could do better so it's less likely with him another interesting way to think about this 
is if those guys get waived would anyone claim them now because there are not very many teams with cap space who could just do it it's hard to imagine for me bogdanovich getting claimed collison maybe but the other thing about him too is he's coming off this knee surgery we haven't seen him get back yet successfully from that surgery and he's going to be 30 so maybe if he doesn't look like the same guy that could be a part of this also and then there's also the possibility too that perhaps they could trade those guys as well though that's made difficult by the fact that because they're non-guaranteed and the new rules they count for different going out than they do coming in so it might be difficult to construct a trade around that but that's going to be so interesting to see this offseason and it's just a question of like you know where what they think they can get and who's still going to be around but even if all those guys opt in uh, all of them being young and just joseph they still could get up to a, a max slot should they want to so before we get to miami want to remind you that support for today's show comes from squarespace if you're writing to start a new business you can make it stand out w- with squarespace that's what my fiance did with her yoga teaching she used this awesome template that she used they have a ton of them they're created by world-class designers squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website whether it's your work your blog or you want to publish some content or you want to sell some products and services you can do it in just a few clicks customize everything and it's all optimized for mobile right out of the box as well they also have excellent analytics that will help you grow in real time and you don't have to install anything you have to patch it you have to upgrade they take care of all that for you and should a question by some means arise they have 24 7 customer support i know that would really appeal to me because as uh you all know danny and i work at extremely odd hours so what do you get started with them is you go to squarespace.com for a free trial and use that offer code capspace to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or, or domain that's squarespace.com make sure you use that code capspace to not only get that 10 percent off but also to let them know that you came from us all right where are we going next here the miami heat are 31 and 29 2 and 7 since the last 15 and 60 negative 0.5 net rating puts them 19th 24th in offense 7th in defense 538 still optimistic playoff odds at 87 and one of the dynamics that is is important to kind of think about with them is how they're going to look in the clutch they were phenomenal 22 and 11 in the early part of the season some of that was certainly unsustainable just because they were they were great on both ends and then they had that stretch where they got worse offensively but were still amazing defensively so they were still doing well but since then so they were 20 22 and 11 two and eight in in clutch situations 34 minutes number two behind the pelicans who played a bunch of overtime games recently including one against the heat that we'll talk about in a little bit and negative 8.7 net rating during those clutch situations 102.8 offensive rating 111 defense so not as not as stout as they were before but you know the the offense is the bigger concern there and i have been reluctant this is something we talked about in our trade deadline podcast i've been a little bit reticent of to about the idea that Dwayne wade was going to just completely overrun a lot of their clutch success and at first my thought was that was more of the offensive end because i mean he he's comfortable taking bad shots and that has been the case 30 percent usage for him 46 percent true shooting but there is also an argument to be made that because they if you want to play him in clutch situations and eric spolstra probably has that it also takes a better defender off the floor as well yeah that's an issue and in their last game against the pels i understood why it was in particular that 
Spo went back to Wade and he also went back to Whiteside because they had a 99-94 lead and then the Pels went on an 8-0 run and they just were not getting any kind of good shots at all and so they felt like all right we'll come back with our offensive guys Wade and Whiteside and they also were having a little bit of trouble with the size of Drew Holiday who ended up actually taking 31 shots in that game he and AD really hurt them and they were able to at least generate some looks Wade generally is not going to turn the ball over he can get in the lane and at least generate a shot late in the game now it's probably going to be a floater at this point in his career it's probably going to be a long two he's not dynamic enough to really force help and open up some of those shooters but then you know he's got some pretty good chemistry with Whiteside in the pick and roll I thought the biggest thing against the Pels was when Wade could get the ball on the move when the defense wasn't set and loaded up whether it was in a semi-transition situation whether he was coming out of the corner a lot of times they would have Dragic bring the ball up and then have him come out of the corner off of a DHO and attack from the side going into the middle of the lane with his right hand he could have some success and the Pels weren't switching him and I think if you're not going to switch Wade he can still be effective he's got a ton of craft in the pick and roll to generally create some shots on the other end you mentioned Wade you know they weren't really lighting him up necessarily he was being hidden on a shooter but the pick and roll with Drew Holiday and AD was really just killing Hassan Whiteside they ran this quite a few times where they actually put three shooters all pretty much standing if not right next to each other very close to one another on the weak side and then they ran what amounted to a side pick and roll with drew and ad and then as ad came in from the side there was no help there because they were just everyone else was standing on the weak side and they really just didn't want to bring anybody over they probably could have but they just weren't really ready for it because all those guys on the weak side were staying close enough that you could have just left two guys over there but they weren't really ready for that play pels were able to run that even with no timeout down the end as as, uh ad scored and then holiday got a a nice floater in the ot and ad was just and drew were able to get whatever they wanted against Whiteside who as we know is very limited in terms of his ability to get outside of the paint and guard anybody so when you were watching that I mean some of it of course was the combination of of Drew and AD just wrecking people and you're not going to face a pick and roll combination like that every game I think that there's still more than enough here that I think there are significant favorites to make the playoffs they also have a pretty favorable schedule overall though there are of course tough games for them just like there are for everybody else but I don't know I just feel I, I maybe it's just the way that some of these games have gone that I'm, I'm not as optimistic about the way that they're going to compete with top teams especially now that it looks like they're going to be a lower and a lower seed in the playoffs yeah I think the addition of Wade we talked about it as something that could help them if he's going to be used as a creator on the second unit I don't necessarily like him being out there at the end of games because while he does provide them with a second creator which they kind of need it takes the ball out of the hands of Dragic to some degree they had a pretty egalitarian style which he has not disrupted nearly as much i mean i didn't get the impression that like oh man he's just dominating the ball they had james johnson Dragic, and wade really seem to be handling things pretty equally down the stretch of that pels game in particular i haven't seen the other ones since wade has gotten there but again when wade doesn't have the ball you don't have to guard him and then defensively he'll make a nice help play every now and again but he's not necessarily engaged in transition defense he can struggle he got beaten uh, on a play by anthony davis on the floor where he was the last man back and they just david 
Vegas just beat him and they threw it over his head for a, a nice dunk you'll see a lot of that of course uh, from him so I think he takes away from the identity of what this team is and could be defensively especially defense and if not great creation at least solid shooting and when he and Whiteside are both on the floor it's just too much inability to get back on D and it just takes away from the overall intensity that they're able to play with so as a guy in the second unit I think he could have helped them if he's really going to play this much at the end of games I do think it is going to make them weaker especially because he and Whiteside kind of exacerbate each other's weaknesses. anything else on them or do you want to move on now let's get to the Milwaukee Bucks now 33 and 26 7 and 4 in their last 11 they still on the season a negative 0.3 net rating one of the luckier teams in the NBA but of course have been playing better recently uh the 12th ranked offense and their defense is all the way up to 18th which it had been I think around 25th when kid was fired as I recall and they have now ascended to 95% playoff odds how are they looking overall since the old coaching change they're looking very strong they did lose on Sunday to the Pelicans in overtime they're the other team like Miami that New Orleans has beaten recently there and they're 10 and 4 plus 6.9 net rating since the coaching change puts them sixth during that time frame 16th in offense and then this is remarkable second in defense since the changeover a portion of that absolutely should be attributed to the good fortune they've had on opponent three-point shooting opponents are only shooting 31.6 percent from long range during those 14 games that's the second lowest in the league and just kind of as a little point here while utah's been playing great they also have the fourth lowest opponent three-point percentage in the same period of time so that that is something that should equalize for both these teams that have been playing really great legitimately but also have a little bit of a a little bit of oomph there Utah or sorry Milwaukee has already played they played two really fun games I watched both of them almost in their entirety in the last little while the game against Toronto was very surprising throughout one of the elements being that Milwaukee had this massive advantage on the offensive glass 13 to 5 and then that led to a 19-8 advantage in second chance points which has not been a traditional strength of the Bucks, especially not against the team that starts and closed a lot of this game with two two bigs out there they're playing Valanciunas and Ibaka and it was surprising that that ended up being such a big difference maker for them yeah that game that they won at Toronto uh, had some really weird plays uh, down the end and that's a great win considering how Toronto has been playing lately uh, under any circumstances they did have a few foibles uh, late in the game I found it very odd that they closed with Jason Terry uh, on the floor and now Toronto was going with Fred Van Fleet but they were and Terry I think was shooting it well I mean that's why I guess he was out there because he had 14 points on four of five from three and Tony Snell did not play well he was negative 11 but still it's especially against a team like Toronto where Terry can be attacked it was a surprise to me they wouldn't have Snell out there but nonetheless they won you can't complain too much I thought that they defended yeah go ahead I was gonna say you can't complain too much except about some of the process stuff at the very end of regulation where they they had a foul to give they were up two and so it's a little bit tough in those spots because you know the team can try to draw free throws or something like that but they inbounded the ball to Valanchunas with his back to the basket and yeah and this is with three seconds left right. by the way so that foul to give it, it could be even just if you just foul immediately when the ball is inbounded and then you also take away too because it was out of a timeout right so you also take away their ability to run something out of a timeout there too yeah and so once the ball got into Valanchunas they elected not to foul and then he turned and got to the basket and I think he did get fouled it was a close call it was a judgment call I thought he did get fouled on a a rare buzzer beating 
dunk that actually matters. Yeah. And so that if he they called the foul, then he would have had a chance to win the game for, well, for the and Raptors. And there's an regulation. interesting question there too. There's an interesting question of whether the dunk came before the whistle, but it was one of those plays where like someone was desperately trying to block it. And there was also a question of did if there was contact, did the contact occur, you know, slightly after the dunk actually went through and then the contact occurred after was the after whistle. the buzzer. So there was a, a lot of moving parts there, but um generally tough to get a foul call going to the rim at, at the end of the game and i think everyone was just so surprised by that play by valentinus which was an awesome setup there uh even though this isn't the raptor section we can kind of let it be about them a, a little bit here since we watched that game both of us um yeah it was just they inbounded to valentinus at the right elbow fake dho and then he just turned over and went right to the rim, and nobody was expecting it, it was awesome and, and he went in and dunked it home to tie the game and then a play in overtime that really did swing the outcome and it can be something this close in a, in a game like this Toronto went on a 5-0 run to start the overtime and then I think it was Middleton got a basket and then it looked like the ball was going to go out off of the Bucks, and so the Raptors were still going to have the ball and a three-point lead but Giannis was able to somehow save it and then save it to the corner to Jason Terry who then drilled the open three so instead of it being Toronto ball with the three-point lead it was a tie game and the crowd was a little bit deflated and then at Milwaukee never trailed after that point yeah that end of game sequence was really weird toronto was down three they missed the three DeRozan uh managed to get the ball in the lane with about three seconds left cj miles is standing there wide open with his hands up he's in the game to, to hit the tight three and DeRozan just goes in for the dunk with 0.8 seconds left i guess he just didn't realize how much time was left but and I mean, a foul to give and they had a foul to give they so even if they had fouled right away it wouldn't have taken they wouldn't have gotten the ball back oh yeah you're talking about toronto yeah Correct. i mean that's probably a little bit beyond what a, a sure. player is going to know necessarily but but i mean the fact that you know you're down three yeah okay you might be able to get the quick two but at least just look out to the arc i mean cj miles was wide open and he's one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. that was a, a disappointment for the raptors but i thought overall the bucks defended well in that game i, I thought they did a pretty decent job under rosen down the end they forced him into some tough drives where he got caught into the rim he was able to score a couple of those times but he had some turnovers had to take some tough shots against their length and it's just this is an excellent toronto offense uh i mean since we're talking about this game I and mean, we'll talk a little bit more about their game against new orleans today too but just from the raptors standpoint their section will be a little shorter because we're talking about them now too but how did you think their late game offense looked uh, you know that's been much ballyhooed that their offense overall is better this year but in this game down the end how did it look to you more stagnant than i'd like i mean i thought they were relying a lot on DeRozan, and you know DeRozan and lowry to a point but those guys are capable i mean i understand why you go to your horses late and it, it was that part of why it was so jarring and exciting when valanciunas did it later on but it you know they they just didn't move the ball as much as i had hoped and they're they are better overall but yeah it's, it's weird because i kind of want to save this for the raptor section but i guess i'll talk about it here like yeah whatever people yeah. people listen to the whole the whole of sure. these 15 and 60s the, the, no one would ever <laughs> stop listening before the end of this two and a half hour podcast so i was inspired by this game and a couple other recent raptors games i've watched to look into this and the raptors have had 76 percent of their made twos in clutch situations that's within five within five have been unassisted and 65 percent of their their makes overall that's the second highest proportion of the league that are unassisted that is not what you're necessarily looking for and that is you know a, a bellwether it's not indicative in and of itself yeah. but they've been the tw- 25th clutch offense in the league this year and when you think about how good they've been overall they've been they're fourth in the league right now they 
they've been the East Con- Eastern Conference's best team, and they have good talent. This isn't a circumstance of, oh, they're getting sabotaged late because they're just not good. They are very, very good. And so it seems like they're falling back on some of their bad habits. Yeah, I noticed that some earlier in the year, and they haven't played a ton of close games lately. I mean, they've been they've had a, a 14.0 net rating over their last 11 games in which they've gone 9-2. and two. I thought that it, they at least had a little bit better offensive pace in this one where they moved the ball a little bit more it was a lot of the DeRozan show it was a lot of him driving into traffic uh Ibaka took a couple of really bad jumpers like he had a play where CJ Miles again was wide open or actually it might have been Van Vliet who was wide open at the top in the overtime and Ibaka did like the pass fake that didn't really work but then he just took the three anyway I mean he really just is such an awful decision maker um but I thought at least they were getting into their offense earlier than they had I mean that was another big thing that was just so abhorrent about them the last two postseasons and just you know every possession started with 10 on the shot clock late in the game and, and at least i think they avoided that um back to the bucks what have you seen from jabari parker since his return i think he's looking better physically he did miss two dunks in this game but both of them were on strong contests there was one where it was in the pelicans game where i think it was ad and Miritich was something like that 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 got over there so that's not like oh he just didn't have the legs or something like that and his offense has just given them more i noticed in the game against new orleans in particular just how much they miss both brogdon and delvadova being out that they just need another guy who can get his own ideally can can get it for other people and so jabari gives them a lot of that they still need to figure out some of the defensive dynamics and he he's not all the way there yet but i think he does really really help them and i i brought up the missing brogdon and delvadova it's also missing Televich. i mean Televich brought an element of offense a different kind of it because he wasn't really generating his own looks but he was spacing the floor and all that kind of stuff so i think i think he has really helped them and i'm excited to see where this goes because they're kind of incorporating these talented pieces one at a time and really letting them get a chance to to meld in before you know brogdon gets back parker was 7 out of 14 today for 18 points his best game since returning played 24 minutes it seems to be on a limit there whether he closes games will be fascinating you would imagine that probably what's going to happen i mean you always know that bledsoe middleton and Giannis are going to be out there and when brogdon comes back will remains to be seen it seems like that type of an injury when he comes back especially they're going to kind of have things set i don't expect him to play that much necessarily in the playoffs just for that reason but you'd imagine it's going to be Giannis at center you'd imagine that parker would probably play maybe they'll do some offense defense substitution on the end with uh parker and henson and then you know whether it's going to be brogdon or snell or della vadova or god forbid jason terry or even sterling brown who, who had a nice game today with nine points on four or five from the field the other thing that is interesting to monitor is the backup center rotation against new orleans today 15 minutes for maker 11 for tyler zeller and, and henson played 27 minutes so they didn't do much at all really uh, of Giannis at center also noteworthy that uh, the minutes for Giannis have gone down he played 40 minutes today but that was in an overtime game so it would have only been at 35 and middleton who had been playing a ton too he would have only been at 33 so even with some of the issues that they've had in terms of depth on the perimeter they, they've been able to hold down the minutes a little bit more i think that was i mean it seems pretty clear to me that that was an area of disconnect for jason kidd the number of minutes he was playing especially with the knee injury that Giannis had suffered and you would think that the front office now uh, and prunty are more in lockstep with the, these more modern type of minute totals uh last thing uh, on the box the end of game sequence uh, was really odd they're 
down to ad misses a tough shot uh, over Giannis, and then rajon rondo is in the right corner runs all the way into the free throw line and tips it out chris middleton just never moved to put a body uh, on rondo granted you don't expect the point guard to go after that but he middleton really never moved to go get the ball and, and never moved to box out rondo and so the pels they then had to follow the pels the Pels inbound from the side and then they immediately throw it away trying to get the ball in to Anthony Davis so the Bucks have a chance they are able to get a nice matchup of Giannis guarded by Ian Clark Giannis shoots the jumper over him and he couldn't hit I thought Giannis actually had some nice plays uh hitting some good looks at long twos in the Toronto game but this was a play where especially at the end of games guys are very locked in to run the play and Chris Middleton got a screen the guy guarding him fell down he gets to the top of the key catches the ball and he's not because the play is okay go get it to Giannis on the other side I mean he's got a wide open three that could have won the game and just never even thinks to take it because that wasn't what the play was I mean you got to have enough versatility and I think the coaching staff should have enough confidence in a guy to be like hey you know if you just caught the ball wide open for a three like just take it that's better than whatever running the play is going to get us but especially at the end of games there is kind of a hierarchy and oh we called the play for Giannis you got to get it to him and, and stuff like that so uh let's move on to well, well, can I, I can, want to mention briefly yeah. just from the end of that game, Middleton yeah. actually took a lot of shots late and it was surprising because Drew Holiday, who had a fabulous game, was guarding Giannis and they were just going to Middleton almost every time. And then the other thing that they were doing is they had Henson guarding Anthony Davis. I'm guessing they were afraid of him on post-ups and things like that. And they were running the same the same thing that killed Miami. They were running pick and rolls with Drew and AD and they were just getting the switch. And then Drew Holiday was just killing John Henson. So it was kind of these two little things that I thought they could have they could they can work on and get get this better but i've really enjoyed watching i think there's a lot of room for growth with the bucks now that their defense makes sense all right now for the next 24 and 37 a mere one and eight since the last 15 and 60 that won a win on the road 120 to 113 against the magic in the first game after the break negative 2.9 net rating is 23rd in the nba they are 21st on offense and you'll recall there was a time this season where they are actually pretty decent offensively and we were lauding porzingis that time as an now over and 21st on defense uh we'll try and tighten these up a little bit for these last couple of teams both because it's now 12 30 a.m and my voice is starting to go but let's talk about trey burke who's been unbelievable for them his contract situation hundred thousand dollars guarantees on july 10th and then four hundred thousand guarantees on the first game of the season for the minimum next year so you imagine if he keeps playing like this he'll at the very least be kept around for near the minimum and what's so different about him well number one he's just making every single long two that's ever existed yeah i mean 57 percent on mid-rangers 59 percent on twos overall and that combined with his 39 percent on threes is just leading to a ridiculous scoring load from him and also you know he's been getting a lot of assists yeah i watched about half of his assists and i have to say there wasn't anything too sexy about him uh i mean he had a couple of plays where he was able to find the role man a lot of times it's mike beasley that he'll play pick and roll with where he's able to find him and then but it seemed like an inordinate number of his assists were throw it to the guy maybe as a slight advantage he takes a couple of dribbles and scores and they count as an assist anyway there were maybe only three or four of those where i was like all right that was a legitimately really good pass there to the role guy granted it's the knicks so they don't have incredible shooters but it's not like he's throwing these lasers all over the court to shooters but impressive that he's increased his 
assists to uh over eight per 36 minutes that would be by far a career high i think by uh, almost three uh per 36 minutes but a lot of this i think from him is fool's gold right now he's 34 out of 60 from mid-range has a 25 pr which is awesome but he's not like getting to the foul line that much he's not getting to the rim that much he is 10 out of 13 at the rim but i mean you saw he's taken 60 mid-rangers and 13 shots at the rim and he's basically taking a lot more of his shots uh as long twos now and fewer from three where he is hitting 39 percent so the one thing he does do is he never turns it over uh which is useful but so much of his value right now is coming from hitting those mid-rangers and maybe also just from some assists that aren't really a ton of value added i'm not going to say that you know oh he's not an nba player i mean he's playing very well i think but to say that he's just some guy who is just incredible he's gonna have to just shoot this ridiculous percentage on mid-range maybe that that's never gonna be possible but he's gonna have to shoot very very well on mid-rangers and from three to really be effective i still think he could be a quality backup point guard but you know let's slow down a little bit on him being a star like so much of what he's doing here is unsustainable at this point uh and to put a little bit more color on that as well out of the pick and roll he's taking a jumper off the dribble 46 times and he's averaging 1.24 points per possession on those which is obviously ridiculous for off the dribble shooting in the pick and roll so 46 jumpers off the dribble six runners three times he's taken it to the room <laughs> i mean he is very very reliant on that jump shot uh, off the dribble and so you want to be hopeful that it, that it is going to continue but y- you look at the fundamentals here and you say it's a nice story while it lasts and something else that we should talk about briefly uh the higher profile addition they had at the point guard position emmanuel moody he has not made a three yet as a New York Knicks zero for 13 but he is making half of his twos and he's getting to the free throw line so those things are good a lot of the other stuff not so good 42 percent true shooting although a fair amount of that is just the, the threes which he had actually been shooting a decent percentage on in Denver 50 percent on twos would be above where he's been but turns it over a lot and you know it's not like because he's inefficient he's reducing his usage still uh 27 percent usage we'll check out on him a little bit more that was more just statistically focused to update all right so that was a little more old school 15 and 60 length let's talk about the magic now orlando 18 and 41 4 and 6 since the last 15 60 25th in net rating 18th in offense 28th in defense and i assume i'm taking the lead on this because where we get to start is a, a bulletin from the church of azonia he since the first start in the new push which i think coincided with aaron gordon being out that was on january 30th he is averaging 16.7 points per game 61 percent true shooting on 23% usage and making 43% of his threes on 5.1 attempts per game, five and a half rebounds, two assists, two steals, and interestingly over the season. So that part is that's the 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 burst when he was playing a lot more. The Magic had played a lot better with him at power forward than small forward. I think that is also due to the who they're playing against. I think a lot of the small forward movements have been when he's been, you know, more starters versus starters and all that kind of stuff. But it does look more like there is a play for him in the league than it did before yeah part of what's really helped him other than i mean the number one thing that's been good is like his shots are going in at a reasonable rate again he's back up to around 35 percent on threes overall for the season he was i think under 30 percent last year the other thing that's helped him is about 10 percent of his shots that used to be long twos are now shots at the rim sadly he still never gets fouled that's something that was the case going back to his european days and he's also upped his defensive rebounding percentage a little bit to something that's 
halfway respectable it's still not great but halfway respectable for playing some small ball four the other thing he's been doing more of is operating in the pick and roll he looks comfortable shooting jump shots off the dribble out of the pick and roll uh that same breakdown that we did for trey burke he's taken 22 jumpers off the dribble out of pick and roll 11 takes to the rim and, and five floaters so a little bit better ratio there and he, he shot it well over a point per possession on those jumpers off the dribble he's he kind of like nick batum and that he's more comfortable going to his right for the jumper and he gets nice rise on that it's a little bit hitchy he's kind of off balance um uh, on those but he, he's able to get his shot off at, at six eight and, and with good rise i've also liked what i've seen some pretty advanced dribbling skills uh, from him and in his last three or four games he's been finishing about five pick and rolls uh, per game which is not bad that's more than what we've seen from him at the rim he has not looked particularly athletic he doesn't get the explosion he, out in the open court his dunks can be impressive but again he's not like just blowing by guys forcing fouls at the rim dunking on people finishing layups over people i do think his passing in pick and roll has been a little bit better than advertised part of the problem is his frequent partner in pick and roll is bismack biombo who always seems to fumble it and uh is never going to make a shot outside of three feet and you know it's just not the greatest role man in the world uh also noteworthy that he's shooting better on plays or jump shots that are classified as guarded by synergy as opposed to unguarded so you can break out that jr smith chart which is based on sport view rather than manually track the way synergy is and it is weird for him that he's shooting 60 percent, only 15 shots on tight three-pointers and then he's shooting 33 percent on open ones and 30 percent on wide open ones and the open and wide open are pretty even samples so that's not that big a difference but that does lead to the overall picture with contested and uncontested and then he hasn't had that many contested or the wide open two-point jump shots but those have gone jonathan isaac finally uh, returned to action with their lakeland florida g league team over the weekend did not look good he shot five out of 14 had i think five or six turnovers uh definitely got his shots up there he was on a minutes limit other than a couple of nice steals just didn't look good like they tried to post him up a ton he doesn't have a very high release he actually got a turnaround post-up jump shot block um and did not appear to have a lot of explosion you'll remember back from the draft process he's a decent jumper off of two feet not at all any good off of one foot that continued to be apparent here and one thing that i had liked about him was his first step and that did not appear to be present in this game again playing against g league guys now a lot of these guys are kind of you know not the size of nba combo forwards maybe even you know they're kind of smaller maybe even quicker in some respects against him uh but they tried to set up a bunch of one-on-one plays for him both in the post and it just did not go well for him at all that's not the role he's gonna be playing with the magic for quite some time here but it wasn't a particularly inspiring debut if you want to say he's going to come back and really contribute with the big club but again he was playing a different role in the g league than he will for the magic so the sixers we can skip them because liam's going to do them later anything else you want to say about the raptors i guess we got to get to their fundamentals at the very least yeah, a couple, couple quick things fundamentals 41 and 17 7 and 2 since last 1560 third in net rating of plus 8.5 which is fantastic fourth in offense third in defense and they have been the eastern conference's best team i think we need to be unambiguous about that they've been they've been great on both ends of the floor one of the few teams that's top 10 on both ends and they're top five on both and a big part of that their starters have obviously been good as well but the league's strongest lineup in terms of net rating with more than 100 minutes played which is a pretty low threshold but it still matters is their all bench lineup van vliet delon wright cj miles siakam and pertle plus 28.5 net rating strong on offense excellent on defense and those guys just battle i've really enjoyed watching that lineup play and yeah. one of my favorite units in the league started the second quarter 
quarter start of the fourth quarter watching the raptors really really enjoyable yeah and if you have league pass i would tune in even if it's not like your primary game if there's another one that's at the same time because they're they're just a blast and they catch teams off guard they can switch sometimes they have a lot of guys that can do things with the ball in their hands like van vliet sometimes has these great games sometimes Delon has had some really good ones too and they just defend i, I love the way that group goes and it was a little bit interesting to me that they went back to valanchunas in that bucks game he you know he certainly had his moments and had the big play at the end i don't think that's what they're going to do in crunch time of playoff games but i still don't exactly have the rotation figured out for when those games get big yeah and their lineup at the end van vliet lowry and DeRozan were their three guys in the perimeter they alternated between siakam and valanchunas siakam continues to show some more ball skills he had like a clutch late shot clock jumper on the baseline where he put it on the floor and, and went to a step back that was impressive but that is just three guys on the perimeter who can't guard lebron james right i mean if, if they get matched up against the Cavs, i think they really they just are gonna have to get more size on the floor i know they've been very successful with van vliet closing games he's been outstanding and he's been a much better defender than i ever would have thought but the guy's 510 you know and at some point against a lot of these teams that's just not going to be enough size defensively no matter how hard he battles uh so i share some of the skepticism and you mentioned earlier in that section about the bucks when we were talking about toronto that so a really 65 percent of their clutch shots are unassisted i don't know what it is in the clutch but just generally during regular season play uh during the for all games most teams have the league average is 60 percent of their shots assisted and usually the worst team in the league which used to be the raptors for a while and the suns these last couple of years will have about 50 percent of their made shots assisted just over the course of a game so that is a really really high number that that you mentioned um and so maybe you know generally in the clutch there's a lower rate of assisted buckets but man it's just especially when you're going against good playoff defenses that have an answer to demar DeRozan one-on-one i do think it's going to be a struggle for them but maybe you know they'll just be so good at least in the first couple of rounds that they can blow teams out but a reason to think that maybe that won't happen is teams playing their starters more minutes and so their big bench advantage becomes muted and that's where they've been killing people once again as they had in previous years even though lowry was part of that he's not this year i think we should move on to the wizards they had a really nice win today against the sixers which moved them up to 35 and 25 eight and three another really nice win at cleveland on friday as yeah well. absolutely and with that snake bit loss to the to the hornets in between eight and three since the last 1560 ninth in net rating ninth in offense 11th in defense nine and three since john wall went down plus six net rating after the game today which pushed it up and sixth in offense 13th in defense and watching a significant portion of that today what beyond kelly Oubre and an auto porter in the first half having just wonderful games was you have this this idea when you have a definitive player that goes out and so you're probably going to have a, a patchwork quilt and you're going to ask a lot of guys to do more and what has impressed me so much is that they needed those guys to step up and to a man in the main the main ones they really have i mean you could go beal i think has done really well porter's been better than i expected but then the big one is thomas sadaransky yeah sadaransky in the the 11 i compiled these before their game today uh but in the 11 games before that that wall did not play in 29 minutes for sadaransky and recall that for a lot of the year tim frazier was actually the backup point and sadaransky wasn't even in the rotation uh 15 percent usage so not a guy who's doing a, a ton but he also never turns it over 10.5 net rating in those 29 minutes per game and 70 percent true shooting 
for him he is an excellent decision maker he doesn't shoot a ton of threes but he's been making the judicious attempts that he has chosen overall for him 16 out of 27 from three since wall went down so only about two and a half attempts per game but hitting over 50 percent of those and then he also gets to the rim while he worries 20 out of 27 during this period so he's able to get out in transition he can attack closeouts he's starting to hit enough that teams have to guard him at least a little bit we'll see whether that can hold up in the playoffs and then he, he generally eschews tough shots he's only taken nine twos outside the lane in his last 11 games so that's uh really you just have to like a, a lot of his game and then markeith morris a, another guy who's been shooting really well uh hitting his mid-rangers although he's not getting to the rim as much as he did uh, in his more athletic days in phoenix but uh, the overall issue though with them is while this has been an outstanding run a lot of it is based on unsustainable jump shooting specifically unsustainable shooting on twos away from the rim yeah i mean so the the league average in terms of floater range and deep twos is you know in the 40 to 41 percent range 46 percent on floaters 46 percent on long twos and they do have some players that can hit those shots to be clear but you don't expect to be that far above the standard you expected to regress yeah and the distribution of their shots just for the year as a whole they don't really get to the rim a ton 28th in percentage of their shots at the rim which is 30 percent and then in this run since wall has gone out 40 percent of their shots being taken as twos outside the restricted area which is a pretty large percentage in this day and age so i would watch pretty closely i mean they've had some really nice offensive performances they do have some good mid-range shooters on this team Beal, Markeith, Mike Scott continues to be on fire. The one guy really who's been cold recently is Kelly Oubre, who's shooting under 35% overall and under 30% from three since Wall went down. But overall, they have really played well. They've played hard. Uh, the offense has been outstanding. But any idea that they're better off without Wall, they're going to look a lot worse as soon as they stop hitting you know 46% on twos away from the rim. It will also be a challenge because their next 12 games are against teams that either are in right now or have a very good chance of making the playoffs that's brutal even though a fair portion of those games are at home all right now let's get to the philadelphia 76ers the long-awaited team for liam 32 and 26 8 and 2 in their last 10 since we checked in on them uh, 2.4 net rating is actually eighth in the nba they have the 14th ranked offense which i think is quite an accomplishment and then the fourth ranked defense which perhaps is even more impressive than that 97 percent chance of making the playoffs we should probably start here by by discussing that Ursan Ilyasova plans to work towards finalizing an agreement with the Philadelphia 76ers per Sham Sarania. How do we think he fits in with the Sixers team? Well, I think he could help tremendously with uh, some of their depth problems. Uh, right now, their starting lineup of Reddick, Covington, Sarge, Simmons, and Embiid are, they have the number one net rating of lineups that have played more than 300 minutes, uh, plus 18.4 net rating, 114 offensive rating, and 96 defensive rating in 426 minutes. So their starting lineup's been dominant basically all season. So the concerns are with you know with this team with the with the bench, which hopefully Ilyasova can help with some. So their backup bigs especially. I was actually going to ask you guys if there were any guys on the buyout market they could get um, before I heard this news because it seemed like they really needed it. Amir Johnson really struggled in the Chicago game. He, he bobbled some passes and flubbed some finishes, and especially defensively, he just looked 
really slow guarding Bobby Portis. He got blown by Fernand one, beat down the floor, and he just looked really incapable physically. And the next game, they gave Holmes all of his minutes, and Holmes came in, and he struggled with his defensive awareness, which has been a problem for him in the past. He he didn't really get up to the three-point line in, in pick-and-roll defense on their shooters, and he got beat in the post by Vucevic. And he, he just wasn't very good dropping in the pick-and-roll, which is what they like to do, and he blew some blew a switch. So, like, the, the, the offensive things he brings uh, with his offensive rebounding and his you know his ability to make plays in the pick and roll as a lob threat uh didn't really outweigh the defensive problems he had and and trevor booker you know can't space the floor at all and he's not really effective as a help defender so i guess i I wanted to hear your thoughts on you know how eliasova you know changes up their bench big rotation because they're likely out i was thinking they were likely going to need to go small in the playoffs when Embiid isn't on the floor and and they really don't want to ramp up Embiid's minutes to you know over 40 even in the playoffs with you know his health concerns even if the games are that important so it'll be interesting to see you know who how they change the big rotation with uh the signing so I, I was wondering you know what you guys think should happen you know come playoff time with their bench big rotation I think this is really helpful for them because ideally sure another wing would have been useful but those guys just aren't available and so they were going to have to go in a different direction anyway and so I think that getting somebody who's capable somebody who's familiar with the team he played as a 76er last year I think that will work out really well and if they wanted some something that I've been struggling with with the Sixers is the idea that they shouldn't stagger their main guys as much I mean you talked about the the number one net rating their their current starting five and so getting a guy like Ilyasova means you can play fewer minutes where you have to separate out either you know Simmons or Sharich from these guys and those they've done so well so yeah getting another wing a little bit more versatility there would have been great but there are no players like that on the market and arguably the best you know two three that has hit the buyout market so far is Marco Bellinelli and they have him too yeah and for this of course this signing of, of Vilyasova you mentioned the ineffectiveness of Booker they traded a second round pick for him we were critical of that I think that uh, we're looking pretty right on that that he has not helped them at all uh, as a four just due to the fact that he can't really shoot and, and he's not really big enough uh, as a five and they already have Amir Johnson who despite some of the flaws that you mentioned I mean, he's one of these guys who kind of like Zaza Pachulia can look really bad at times with flubbing passes but yet can be relatively effective defensively i think johnson is still there probably still the best of their backup center options but Ilyasova provides that floor spacing dimension that they need and with he and bellinelli i mean granted you know getting a bunch of guys who are on the hawks who weren't exactly a juggernaut this year is not the tickets it's success normally but given how shooting was clearly their biggest need to me and i don't think i actually think Ilyasova isn't any worse defensively than booker you could maybe even argue he's a better more aware help defender and then the fact that he spaces the floor uh, i think that he'll uh, be a nice fit there another interesting aspect will be well how much are they going to be paying him right because they still have that room exception available surprisingly enough they did not pay marco bellinelli more than the prorated minimum and so they still have plenty of firepower in the buyout market you would imagine especially also Ilyasova's familiarity with the sixers from last season that that would be part of why he's going to join them so i'll be very interested to see what the numbers are uh, on what Ilyasova eventually agrees to and one other quick point before we get into the other meat and potatoes with them is the sixers do not have a clear-cut way to open up this spot they have 15 guys on roster you know they added bellinelli so they're going to have to make a tough decision i mean the, the two players that you could look at as being the most extraneous also because they're expiring contracts would be trevor booker and amir johnson both of whom were significant they, they were they were significant acquisitions in terms of what was required so amir johnson that paid him 11 million dollars trevor 
Trevor Booker, not only did they give up Julia Locafor and Stauskas in that trade, they also gave up a second round pick, which looks like it'll probably be pretty solid. So it is a a tough decision to a point for Colangelo, considering he made both of those moves, but they do have guys that Ilyasov is an upgrade over, which is why they're making the signing in the first place. Yeah, God, that would be pretty interesting if they actually were to move on from Booker after all that, maybe let him go sign somewhere else if that's what they want. But yeah, I mean, I'm not sure who else it would be at this point. Maybe you could say Jared Bayless, but with his money for next year, you wouldn't want to move on from him and stretch him when perhaps they need to sign someone in the offseason and it makes more sense to trade his uh, $8.6 million for next year. But let's get back to just what you've seen from them uh, since the break, uh, Liam. Where else did you want to go here? Well, I, I think you got to talk about their their top two guys with Embiid and Simmons with how great they've played recently. And I think Embiid particularly has looked really fresh coming off the All-Star break and conditioning when, when he has his wind. I, I, he, it's such a big factor for him with you know how he plays. And his post-up game was dominant against the Bulls. He absolutely killed Bobby Portis, Noah Vonley, Cristiano Felicio with uh, a lot of advanced moves. And he, he did like to do that uh, face-up, rip-through move and got free throws off that a ton. And on post-ups, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think in the past, Past, I, I've heard you criticize some of his post-ups as you know a little bit underve- underdeveloped. Not that you didn't think he would get there, but this season uh, he's at .98 uh, points per possession, and he leads the league in percentage of possessions used on post-ups at 43%. So he's become really deadly there. And I think in one way that that really helps is that with his size and obviously his skill scoring, like, it's really hard to even hold up like slightly against him when you have a four on him. So if you get a cross match in transition, like that's going to be either an automatic bucket or a double. So that that can you know really favor them come the playoffs because there aren't any forwards that can really even like remotely hold up against him in the post. So that'll be interesting to watch. And another thing that they really utilize with him is a lot of the JJ Redick actions with him. So they do a lot of uh, you know either it would be a back screen from Redick for Embiid, and because of Redick's shooting ability, you can't help off Redick at all. So Embiid would get you know really good position down low, and he catch it, and he'd usually get fouled or score pretty easily. And then that works in the reverse too, where they set those pin downs for Redick, and the big doesn't really. Want want to come off to help at all at the elbow because that leaves Embiid. So Reddick's getting a lot of good looks off that. And they even ran um, a couple pick and rolls and like like Embiid was posting up and Reddick went over and set a ball screen for him. And, and Reddick's man didn't even help at all because he's just so worried about Reddick. And I think that's definitely, you know, the bonus of having such an elite shooter is Reddick. You know, his gravity really helps Embiid and, you know, vice versa with how great Embiid is. And defensively, he was absolutely, you know, sensational in the games I saw. He was a terror around the basket, multiple efforts. And he's got, he does a great job. Um, they drop in the pick and roll in the big and he's great at like finding that midpoint between you know contesting the ball handler and guarding him while not allowing that pass to the big and he was he was really great at that and even on the couple times that he got switched onto a guard he was sensational and the, the Sixers of a team have really prevented shots at the rim they're second best in the league and I'd say Embiid's probably the main reason for that and just watching him I was thinking about it like for me I think he'd probably be my defensive player of the year like if we were at you know if the season ended today with the guys that were favorites last year either being injured or Draymond you know not trying as much this season I I wanted to get your thoughts on you know his candidacy for that award well I've picked him every single month so far when we do the monthly awards we're still a couple days away and there's still more that I'll need to pour through but from when 
I've watched them, which has been significant. I watched a fair portion of their game against the Wizards today, which was not the best defensive performance, but still, you know, there were elements of it. As of off the top of my head, without doing all the digging, yeah, absolutely, he'd be mine right now. Yeah, me too. I I haven't been as consistent as Danny when he missed a bunch of games in December. I, I lost faith, but no, I think he's the clear front runner at this point. I'd say the only weakness for him right now, and I really want to see what it looks like in the playoffs against guys like maybe a Kyrie Irving or some of Cleveland's guys or maybe Toronto if they get matched up with them is can he get out both on shooters and uh, on shooters in the pick and roll who can pull up from three-point range and you mentioned the the great D at the point of attack that's gonna have to continue I mean they're gonna go with a similar strategy you would imagine as the Spurs did against the Rockets last year and I don't know that they quite have the talent of a Danny Green and and Kawhi Leonard necessarily uh, to thwart guys with off the dribble three-pointers and then Bobby Portis had a career high 38 points we'll talk more about that or, or actually we did talk more about that in the bull section i forgot that we're recording this uh first but actually it's gonna run last so Embiid does struggle to get out on pick and pop centers but i think he's one of the few guys in this day and age who in the post can actually win that battle against a shooting center on the other end for sure and i think part of that's probably like his struggle to get out to pick and pop shooters is the way the sixers defense is constructed obviously it could be a little bit quicker but a lot of it's just they ask him to drop the big pops that's a long way to you know ask your center to reach so that sure. that's going to be something to you know see how they match up if they play a team like the celtics but uh touching on simmons too i uh, obviously he's having a great year now, what I was really impressed with uh, is ability to get over screens. The the Simmons and Bead defensive pick and roll tandem, like that, that was really hard to score on in the games I saw. And I, I'd love to see like the numbers when those two are the guy, main guys guarding a pick and roll. And so he has some inconsistent effort, you know, on closeouts and in transition. But he's very good when he's locked in, and I think that's most of the time. You know, there, there are only like spots where I thought his effort could have been a little bit better. And in the post against the Bulls and the Magic, he, he really shredded those teams with how they guarded him. They had um, Jonathan Simmons, the Magic did, and the Bulls had David Nwaba and Chris Dunn on him. And they basically doubled him whenever he got the ball. And when they didn't, he scored. And, and his his passing's obviously, you know, special. So he really killed him out of, the, out of that. And I was surprised to look up the numbers and see that his post-up numbers really haven't been all that good this year. Uh, 0.67 points per possession, which is obviously, t- you know, pretty terrible. And so I think teams might want to rethink that strategy a little bit i know it's instinct you know when we have a a smaller player on a 610 guy like oh we need to go help otherwise he's going to get put in the basket but when they double off of him with the shoot the shooters that the sixers have and simmons ability to make the right decision they usually get killed out of that too so yeah uh, that may be something that that requires a little more study because you've probably got some selection bias there that when they really get a smaller guy on him that he can get right there and that when he is actually taking and he's a pass first guy so when he's actually taking Taking the shot that might be because he does have a guy who can stand up to him relatively well physically and then when he doesn't these teams are doubling and then he throws it out out of the post so it's tough to say whether that 0.67 is due to the fact that like yeah if they have a bad matchup he still can't score on it or is it due to the fact that you know when he is actually forced to take the shot that it's usually against a guy you can handle him one-on-one that's that's tough to say i think you can make that argument about just about anybody but him in particular particular because so much of his post game is taking place within five feet of the basket uh that if he's forced into one of those floaters uh, or whatever it, it makes such a difference whereas you know if it's a mid post iso guy like a joe johnson or something it, you know it, it just kind of what your number is in, in post-ups is how efficient you are so I, i'm not sure what, what the answer is on that but i think it could go either way 
Right, I agree with that, and it's it's tough to say. I you know I haven't watched enough Sixers games to know you know whether he's guarded by more wing sized players or more guards. But in the, I don't know in the games I saw, like I, I would assume that most teams are probably guarding him with a guard because I was impressed with his ability, like his quickness to blow by. He blew by Chris Dunn, who's a really good perimeter defender with, with speed and not power. So I, I was surprised by that. And my guess is teams are a little bit more worried about getting beat by the speed than the power. But I I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. So yeah, that's that, an interesting one too i think you'll see that more often you know whether it's lebron whether it's a, a ben simmons these guys who, who Kawhi leonard probably falls in this category too you would think that like all right if a guy is facing the basket or even if he puts his back to goal but he's at, at range that there's not really gonna be you know hey you've got this quick guy like you shouldn't just get beat off the dribble but i think what ends up happening is those guys kind of really gird themselves to fight back and take the blow from the power and then if you're leaning forward that's how you get blown by with the speed so in some ways when you have a guy who's way stronger you'll see more of those blow buys because the guy's like well i'm not going to get back down and then he's just moving forward and the guy goes is able to go right by him in a way that he wouldn't when that guy is more focused on moving his feet than trying to like push forward into the guy and not get back down yeah, that's a good point. I I definitely agree with it with that. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's that definitely makes sense the way you're uh proposing that. Um another guy I wanted to touch on was uh TJ McConnell. I've got to tread lightfully here cuz uh my brother and his girlfriend are the biggest TJ McConnell fans in the world and they threatened me if I, you know, insulted TJ McConnell on the pod. So, I'll uh, try to take uh, well, it a little so easy. Your on family, them. you're lucky that your family members actually listen to the show. But my my family members uh think this show is way too boring <laughs> to listen to. I, I for one am I for one, I'm happy my family doesn't listen, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, my brother's girlfriend definitely does find it boring, but uh, he doesn't, and he will report back to her, so I gotta tread lightly. But uh, so far, I've been really surprised. I was surprised to look at his shooting numbers to see that he's at 56% true shooting percentage and obviously that a lot of that's due to like his low usage but he's 49% from mid-range 50% on three and the problem with the threes is he's taken less than one attempt a game and he's even above average at the rim which I was surprised by and the, the biggest problem with him is re- his refusal to take shots with his efficiency where it is I think you know he could afford to take more shots and maybe the efficiency would go down some but I think it would help out the team overall he has a 19% turnover percentage with this which is fifth percentile for a point guard and yeah, there were a couple actually plays improved quite a bit from earlier than season. i think danny when we checked in on him last time it was like 26 percent or something so he actually seems to have gotten a lot better there right and it's just there's there's some plays where like he'll break he'll break free and like beat his man and like he could take a layup and he'll bounce packs to a big with like two guys on him and it would just be way better off if he shot it even if you know maybe he doesn't have the confidence to but defensively he does a lot of things well obviously uh, other than shooting and defensively he's really good uh trailing in the pick and roll and just anticipation with his with steals uh he has a really good steal percentage you know good hands stripping guys when they drive on him and his passing is really good too with you know some incisive looks that and the offensive rating numbers are interesting to me because the offense drops you know 4.6 points when he's on the court uh in defensive rating but half of those minutes come without ben simmons or joel Embiid. and i don't as we touched on earlier like i don't have a high opinion of you know the sixers depth overall so i think you know that partly affects the offensive rating numbers with him although when you do yeah. put the tandem together with him and simmons the offensive rating is pretty bad too because the lack of spacing it's a one-on-one yeah. with a high you know turnover percentage i i think Ilyasova being 
being out there instead of because they especially on the second unit they'll play two bigs together a lot of the time and i think having Ilyasov out there can help their second unit offense get a little bit more spacing with, with some of the issues you talked about right i definitely agree with that that'll definitely help the spacing issues because when they play mcconnell simmons and either uh, whether it's you know booker or amir johnson like that really cramps the spacing because they'll have when mcconnell has the ball it'll be simmons and amir johnson in the dunker spots on either side of the rim and you know he's probably going to pass the ball to one of them and that's when those passing lanes get really crowded and in my opinion so far from watching them like i think he's been pretty clearly their sixth best player maybe maybe you guys disagree with that but i wanted to get your opinions on you know if you changed your mind on him at all from the beginning of the year because i think most people would say he's improved and gotten better uh but he obviously still has some limitations so i I wanted to see what if you know if you guys had altered your idea of him at all well i think i i still think of him as a solid backup point guard i felt that way about him at the start of the year there are the fit issues which you've touched on i think that's been the case uh but you know this is to kind of change something i was thinking about as you're going on here i this team is going to be absolutely fascinating in the playoffs because they have so many players who have like these big strengths but also a lot of players who have big weaknesses right reddick is this unbelievable shooter but his individual defense is not that good he can easily be attacked by great players in pick and roll i mean if you all you got to do is set a screen with his man for a Kyrie irving or a lebron james and you're in big trouble right and beat unbelievable around the rim don't know how he deals defending out on the floor even though he has played at a defensive player of the year level ben simmons can't shoot it all outside of three feet uh tj mcconnell don't have to guard him at all at the three-point line so my feeling is that when teams really have time to prepare they have a lot of these guys with weaknesses uh, you know they, if they play these two big lineups hopefully Ilyasova can get rid of that but then you know you have to guard those guys either so I could see that Embiid okay you know he gets into the post but there are guys that you can help off of with him if you're going to double team or maybe just their strengths are, are so difficult to deal with you know they've got their own guys who can really go at the other team in matchups it's going to be fascinating to see them in the playoffs because they just have so many guys that have these yin and yang to they them. also have a coach who hasn't experienced the playoffs as head coach and that's going to be a challenge yeah. in terms of adjustments and all that i think i agree with with everything they said to get back to the to the mcconnell part and depending on how liam's liam's brother feels about this this is earmuffs or not earmuffs tj mcconnell has been a very good player for the sixers but this is a strange thing to say but i think he's best at the things that are least important for his position in the modern nba he's a good defender i think he's a good team defender he can you know he he's works really hard but i don't necessarily trust his ability to create shots for himself and others i agree that part of it could be reluctance but part of it is just also he knows what he can do and he knows what he can't do and he doesn't push it that that far and he deserves a ton of credit for the ability that he's had to at least like hit mid-rangers reasonably absolutely i I think that's and and so that you can see that as a good thing you can see that as a bad thing i mean he's better than a ton of backup point guards for that exact reason that his strengths are legit and they're legit against quality opponents but i feel like there's a ceiling on that unless he can improve his weaknesses which he's young enough to but it's going to be hard so i think he's in a good spot you know uh, i think in the long term when they have more guards and they they can add you know first round pick cap space guys all that kind of stuff that he'll be in a, in, a, in a much better situation but i i 
you know, he's valuable to them as he is, and he's going to be a wonderful contract for them next year when he's still making the minimum. Yeah, he'll be an interesting guy, too, as a potential extension candidate to there, especially with what the 2018 market is going to look like. Uh, maybe we will see some more bargain extensions than we have. For McConnell, they also have one of those player option decisions on him this summer as well, I believe, of whether you decide, all right, we're going to decline this option and make him a restricted free agent his cap hold would still be extremely small and they would have full bird rights on him at that point so it wouldn't hurt their cap space aspirations but they might have to pay him more next year but they could maybe hold down the price or you wait one more year and then he's unrestricted and maybe he gets a a larger offer so that'll be an interesting decision for them i am guessing with his age they will probably just pick up uh that team option i think i said player option before i meant team option uh and that'll be a a tough call and they got the same thing coming up uh, with Rashawn Holmes as well I would imagine Holmes could be another guy where they decide that they're going to just pick up uh, that team option again but a a lot remains to be seen here Um, anything else you want to add here Liam before we wrap things up no that'll about do it I just wanted to you know comment on what you mentioned with like players with great strengths and weaknesses I think Embiid's you know the type of player that like he has better strengths than any other team so I I would think teams would have to adjust to him but a guy like JJ Redick I think you saw in the Utah series last year like if if a team comes with a smart game plan and really focuses on those actions like he becomes a lot more guardable so that's going to be interesting to see if that's going to happen again or if like I said before um like Embiid pin downs where Embiid's drawing way more attention maybe that'll still be able to open up some stuff for him but that's definitely going to be interesting to watch JJ Reddick's uh playoff performance because I think he has he's at a career high in points per game if I'm not mistaken I hope I'm not getting that wrong but uh he's having a great season all right thanks again for joining us today in the 15 and 60 we're going to be back uh, tomorrow planning to have a, a guest on so stay tuned for that and uh, we'll be here all week talk to y'all tomorrow till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.